As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Quartz 96 FM. Good morning, 1850-715-996 is the number. The text to the WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. I've been having a look at the old ever-reliable magic seaweed. I don't think we need to worry too much about storms this week. People were saying, geez, we're headed for another weekend of storms. No, it's going to be cold and there's quite a bit of wet stuff, but not, not that stormy, which is great. Then again, that can all change in a heartbeat, as you know. All right. Now let's go straight to James Toomey from the Boys and Girls of Knocker because this time on Friday morning we spoke when the fund for Kimberly O'Connor stood at just over twelve hundred euro, maybe around thirteen hundred euro, and we were hoping to get it to five thousand euro for the family at this very difficult time. It now stands, James, at I, I almost had to reread this seventeen thousand six hundred. And 40 euro. Good morning to you. Morning, PJ. Yeah, that's right. I woke up this morning and that was the figure. Um, yeah, it just blew my mind, to be honest with you. I just can't believe people's generosity. Yeah. I know I know you heard the cliche, you know, restores your, your faith in humanity, but it actually does, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, absolutely amazing. And like you said, the target was five grand. And should we hit that by Friday? Uh, Friday after we were gone over six thousand by the time we were off the air on yeah him. yeah yeah which was amazing which I you know because I I said five grand it was just a figure that I picked I, I didn't imagine even getting to that but at seventeen thousand six hundred and forty today is just phenomenal like, and I just can't thank the people of Cork I mean it's you know I hear these things in your own show about people adding and you know but you know when you experience yourself it, it's just it's 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 a, it's, a, it's it's just overwhelming to be honest with you yeah. you know have you been talking to any of the families. I was. I was at the Rosary last night for Kimberly there, which was, which was, you know, it was really sad. And to be fair, you know, I mean, as far as you know, funerals in general are sad, but when it's a child, you know, it's a, it's a different box of frogs. It was just really, yeah. it was surreal. You know, it was, yeah. It was how, really how are they? A silly uh, question. Look, they must be in bits, I suppose. They're, they're not going to be all right for a long time after this. Not to be honest, at the end of the day. But they did thank, thank about, they did thank people to go fund me. And uh, they're overwhelmed. They can't believe the support and the messages. Even the messages that come into GoFundMe when people donate, they, they leave up a lovely message, you know, things like that. And they're finding great comfort in all that, to be honest, you know, Good. at this bad time for them, you know, this difficult time. Good. You know? So her, her funeral is Wednesday, I think. Um, I think the removal is tonight. I think it's Tuesday. It's right. very little. Yeah, we'll just... my knowledge. We get the arrangements so if people want yeah. to go along. But it, I think she's removing to not get bridge and... Yeah. 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 
it's, look, it's, 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 so, it's so tragic and uh, people just kept pouring in the money over the weekend. So at least, look, they can they can cover the funeral and they can look after all the other things that will come to, to bother them at this difficult time. And that, exactly. at least that worry, at least that worry is off their shoulders. That burden is off their shoulders, 100%. I know it's like, on the grand scale of things, it's probably nothing at the moment, but, you know, in the coming weeks, when it all kicks in, you know what I mean? And the financial side of it, I'm sure they're, they're, they're very grateful. But the thing is, James, yeah, an unexpected funeral can break a family. Financially. Yeah. Financially, I, I, it can break a family. You know. I, I, to be perfectly honest, I didn't know the price of funerals. I knew they were expensive. You know, I did a little bit of research myself. Oh, my God. I mean, you wouldn't have much change over 10 grand at no. the end of it, you know? No. Really, you wouldn't, you know? I was like, what? Right? But um, listen, Peter, I just want to say a big thank you to you and Casey, because he pushed it, you know what I mean? You have to take huge credit in this as well to get this to where it's been, where it's after getting to, you know? That, that's and, that's uh, very kind of you. We just we just saw it and went to that because we thought it was coming it. from a good place and... Exactly, yeah. yeah. And of course, not the community and everybody who donated, you know what I mean? Credit everyone who got behind this. It's fantastic, you know? Like I said, again, I'll say it again, it restores your faith in humanity and it does 100%, you know? All right, okay. Like Cork's, Cork's a great place and credit to all of you, everybody out there, you know? All right, okay. Good band, James. Thanks very much and good, well done for your initiative and setting it up as well. That's James Toomey from the Boys and Girls of Knocker Facebook page, the Kimberly O'Connor fundraiser. Standing this morning at €17,640. Euro. Yeah, she's reposing at O'Connor Brothers Northgate Bridge uh, Sunday at 5. Removal this evening at 7 to St Mary's in the Hill Church in Knocknahini. Requiem Mass Wednesday at 12 and funeral afterwards to St Catherine's in Kilcully. Thank you for that, guys. 1850-715-996. Now, all the Lanzarote flights have been disrupted and the Tenerife flights have been disrupted um, over the weekend because of a thing called a Kalima. Aer Lingus have issued a statement as a result of adverse weather conditions in the Canary Islands. Aer Lingus has experienced disruption to a handful of flights that were due to operate to the region. All affected guests have been kept updated, provided with overnight accommodation where necessary, and will be accommodated on the next available services. Aer Lingus would like to apologise to guests for the disruption to their travels. So if you were caught up in that over the weekend, or you were supposed to go there for a break, you will get there, and you'll be compensated for any losses. Now, let's go to the... This is a fascinating story, which we came across uh, on Friday. Um, Declan... Good morning to you. Declan, when, when did you lose the ring and, and how? Uh, good morning, PJ. Um, yeah, PJ, the, the ring was lost um, in 2016, the June bank holiday weekend. Right. And I had been out cycling um, for, for most of that day down in Beira, so the ring of Beira. I was on my own cycling down there and came back um, to Ross Carberry, uh, where I joined my family on the Warren Beach. Mm-hmm. And later that evening, discovered that I had lost my wedding ring. Right. Um, and kind of thinking back through the day, I could remember uh, pulling my glove off uh, as I was cycling, coming out of Castletown Bear, climbing a hill out of Castletown Bear, and remembering something um, like a piece of metal on the ground, mm-hmm. hearing hearing something on the ground. And uh, so always assumed that I had lost it down in Beira. Um and in fact, the following day, myself and my wife, Sarah, went back to Beira, to that stretch of road, and we walked the stretch of road for about, I'd say, about two or three kilometres. And exactly where I thought I'd heard the, 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 the sound, we found a piece of metal on the ground. So, unfortunately, it wasn't the ring. And I suppose at that point, kind of gave up thinking that I'd ever find it, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
what had happened? Someone had found it. So, so basically, yeah, um, what had happened was um, uh, just uh, ju- just just three three weeks or so. Um, a friend of mine contacted me one night. These these are close friends of mine from Middleton, and um, and said, "Look, um, we've 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 seen a post on Facebook, and um, you know we and they, they actually they didn't know that we had lost the ring." But the interesting thing it, it, um, was that Sheila, Sheila Stack, was that they were they were supposed to come to our wedding all those years ago, right. um, and couldn't because her her sister was getting married the following day. So she saw the inscription on the inside of the ring, which said which said Sarah, which was my wife's name, and then the date of our wedding. And she kind of she kind of twigged and said, "Well, that's the day before my sister's wedding." I wonder, you know. Yes. So, so, so Sheila Stack and her husband Adrian Stack contacted me and said, "Look, have a look at that on Facebook. Maybe that's your ring." And lo and behold, was the ring. For four years later, you know, after losing it. Um, so, so it was. It was. We were obviously um, delighted, you know. Yes. Um, and basically, the ring. What I found out afterwards, the ring was found. Um, in September the following year, so we lost it on the June Bank holiday weekend of right. 2016. Right, was found, found the following year, and was um, handed into abandoned gardens, garden station. Hang on, and was found um, on the same beach a year and a bit later. Yeah, so it was found on the Warren Beach near Ross Carberry. Christ, um, which is amazing, isn't it? That it stood on the beach for over a year. That's um, unbelievable yeah. because I mean, the, yeah. obviously the beach would be, and particularly the winter time, the beach would be taken up with the, you know to, to disappear in the high seas and in yeah, uh, in, 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 was, <laughs> yeah all the winter storms and everything that goes on there um, so uh, so 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 we were absolutely delighted you know um you know a ring like a ring has i, I suppose it's, it's more sentimental value than anything you know it's the ring that you were the day you got married you got that ring and etc and um you know the ring. The ring has a bit of a story as well, and that was was purchased out in Amsterdam, where we lived for nine years. Right. And um, we, my my wife is is from the north of Spain, so we got married out in the north of Spain, and then we're 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 back in Ireland, um, okay. and uh, and lost the ring. You know, so so it was brilliant to be reunited with. Yeah, you couldn't make it up. <laughs> yeah. do, do you know who actually found it? So we we don't know who found it. Um, the, the person handed it into Bandon Guard Station, and um, in 2017, um, yeah, in 2017, and um, as 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 law goes, um, if it's not if it's not if it if it doesn't find its owner within 365 days, well then the finder of the ring um, can can claim the ring. So I, I believe the guardy at Bandon Guard Station tried to to to, to find the, the finder of the ring. Um, but but couldn't locate them, so we tried since as well, but can't locate the finder because obviously I'd love to say in person to the to them thank you very much, you know. Yeah. Um, so so. But you know, uh, it's the kind of thing. It's the yeah. kind of thing you could do and forget. So, so maybe someone is listening to us this morning anywhere, let alone in Cork, but anywhere in Munster or in the country, or listening on the phone app that could be listening overseas. If you found a ring, it was September 2017, yeah? So it was found, yeah, exactly. September 2015 on the Warren Beach in Rush Carberry. If you found a wedding ring and subsequently handed it in to Bandon Garda Station, the owner of that ring would like to say thank you. 
Yeah, exactly. Myself and Sarah would, would love to say thank you to that person. And there's other people, obviously, that we'd like to say thank you to. Um, we'd like to say thank you to, to, the, to, to the staff at Bandon Garda Station. There's um, Trish and Damien and, and Brendan. Um, we'd also like to say thank you, actually, to, to, um, to, to the judge, um, I believe, in Clonakilty Courthouse. Um, who 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 it went before the courts? It was going to be forfeited right. to the state, and he said, "Look, lads, will you try once more? Maybe it'd be that guy's lucky day. So will you try once more?" That so, would probably so, be Judge McNulty. You know, I'd say down in that neck of the woods. That's probably Judge McNulty. Correct, yeah. I believe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and I suppose, look, look, this this is the power of social media as well. Um, is uh, I, I believe over a hundred thousand people um, looked at the post on the Bandon Garda website or, or on the Facebook page, and it was shared a thousand times, and and somehow it got to our attention. You know? Well, that's so, it's, amazing, it's an incredible amazing. story. It's an incredible story, and good to talk to you. So you're happily reunited with it, but now yeah, you'd love to find I, the person who found it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Okay. So, so, so thanks very much, PJ. And, yep. and you, you're more than welcome and delighted for you, Declan. Good. So, if you this look, hey, he lost the ring in the summer of 2016 on the Warren Beach down in Ross, and then someone found it in the autumn of 2017 on the beach, the Warren Beach in Ross Carberry. How it lasted, God alone knows. So if you're the person who found, or you know the person who found a wedding ring on the Warren Beach in Ross Carberry in around September of 2017 and handed it in to Bandon Garda Station, look, it's a long shot, but even finding the damn thing was a long shot. Give us a ring at 1850-715-996 or throw us a text or WhatsApp to 083-396-9696 because that would really square the circle. They've got the ring back and they're delighted and thrilled and all that and the bizarre nature of it and sitting there for a year and a bit. But they'd love to thank whoever found it. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in solidfueldepot.ie. You guys ready? Watch out, watch out. Drive home weekdays from four on Cork's 96 FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure to join me on the show this week where you could be playing the one second song. I'll have all the latest on Cork traffic with the 96 FM Street Fleet, and you're picking the playlist on the takeover. I'll chat to you weekdays from four. The big drive home with GoBus.ie. Reliable, non stop return services from Cork to Dublin City and Airport. Seat sale now on at GoBus.ie. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 On Cork's 96FM. Let's catch up with the latest because the fantastic photographs all over the place now of the MV Alta, which has kind of settled into position down there near Ballycotton, having been blown aground during 
Storm Dennis, and it's just sitting there abandoned. It's been examined in the last week or so. It doesn't seem to be a pollution risk or anything like that. But it could cost us, you and me, the taxpayers, the state, a fortune to get the thing out of there or to do anything with it. Cormac, uh, Gerubers, good morning, Cormac. Good morning, sir. How are you well? Good, good, good. Now, the photographs are fabulous, and it's a, it's a lovely tourist attraction at the moment, but it is a big, rotting hulk of a thing, and we don't want it there permanently. No, no, it'll, uh, it'll, it'll have to be removed um, one way or the other. That's the nature of these things. But uh, it's also, I guess, part of what happens when you're an island nation, you know, with uh, sort of looking out onto the Atlantic Ocean. Occasionally, stuff like this is going to happen. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since we've had a, we've had a wreck actually run up. Um, but as you say, yeah, it'll, it'll have to get shifted at some point. This is the thing, Cormac, and, and you lecture in the National Maritime College, so this, this stuff is meat and drink to you. These are great stories. But they, this thing was floating around at sea, ownerless, rudderless, crewless, for, by the sounds of it, several, several months, if not a couple of years. How does that get to happen? Yeah, about 17 months, apparently, as best people have been able to piece it together. So what happened, basically, is is, is going back, um, as I say, about 17 months, I believe. Um, they, they, she was on her way from, from, from somewhere um, in the Mediterranean, I believe, across to uh, Tahiti in the Caribbean and got in trouble, basically, a couple, five, six hundred miles southeast of Bermuda, out there in the Atlantic Ocean. And um, whatever the problem was, um, eventually the crew ended up being taken off by a, a, a U.S. Coast Guard cutter, and the ship was effectively abandoned at that point. Now, there, there's quite a lack of clarity about what happened after that. Um, that there, there's suggestions that she was then sort of reboarded by somebody and, and may at some point have actually gone to Guyana and South America and then basically was abandoned again. Um, I don't know, perhaps people sort of took off what they thought was of any value on board or whatever mm. else. And anyway, the ship was abandoned again, apparently. And at that point, sort of disappeared off the off the radar, so to speak, and floated around in the Atlantic Ocean. It's reasonable to sort of hypothesize, drifted, got snagged by the Gulf Stream and basically drifted sort of north northwest in the first instance and then northeast, yeah. sort of off the, the, the coast of the United States and whatever in Canada. And eventually drifted across the Atlantic and ultimately up to us. But it was only... tens of thousands of miles. That's a long, long, long way. Yeah, yeah, it is. But that's what happens. And 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 one of the things about a story like this always, which which you know, which which captures captures those of us who worked at sea, most people just can't really grasp how large the oceans are. And and you know, they kind of go, well, how could something that big have been floating around out there without anybody seeing it for so long? And it's not really surprising to those of us who worked at sea because you know it's an absolutely vast the oceans are huge they're absolutely vast right so it's it's quite reasonable that nobody would see it and 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 there was only one reported sighting of it and um, after it was abandoned again off off south america um, and that was by a, a Royal Navy research vessel, the, the HMS Protector, right. um, which was on its way from the UK back to the Antarctic for the, 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 the summer season down there, which is December, January, February. Um, and, and it encountered it somewhere. Now, being a military vessel, they didn't say precisely when or where. Right. But, you know, it was sighted the once and, and they sort of tried to make contact with it and eventually realised it was abandoned and there was nobody on it. So they reported it and, and off they went about their business then. And the next thing we know, it runs up, uh, it runs up off Valley Cotton a couple of weeks back. So, Whose responsibility is it, Cormac, under the law? I mean, presumably someone still, don't, still owns the thing. Yeah, so it gets complicated, but basically the, 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 under the law of the sea and stuff, it's kind of stateless out there. So 
yes, nominally it's the owners, but once it's been abandoned, the the, the, the law of salvage, etc., starts starts to kick in, and that that is complicated. But basically, when it runs up on the beach, as it's done now, and um, it basically in the first instance ends up being the responsibility of the state and um, so you, you'll have heard this lovely term in the last couple of days that the receiver of rex yes and um, who's appointed you know and becomes responsible a bit like a receiver for a business if you like and they become responsible with trying to sort it out but part of that process is to see if an owner does come forward mm-hmm. um, and and you know somebody I, I understand somebody has come forward and purports to be the owners but oh, i presume I they're 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 being checked out at the moment, but I don't yeah. know whether that will that will that will uh, stand up to scrutiny or not. Do these things eventually just get taken out, towed out to sea, and scuppered, or what happens? No, no. Well, that, that, while that used to be the case because of you know the the the, the, the concern and the, the the growing awareness now about the environment, that's not generally what happens. Sometimes it is. What they do is they can strip out wrecks and remove any you know environmental nasties from them. Um, and this one, by the sounds of it, doesn't have a whole lot on board, but she will still have engines yeah. and stuff, and there's obviously going to be engine oil and stuff and that. And you know, But what they can do is they do strip vessels out and actually sink them and use them as artificial reefs, which is you know, a very good thing to do. And, for example, a lot of ex, ex, ex-military vessels around the world, that has been done with them at various times. A ship like this, it's probably as likely that it will ultimately be refloated and towed somewhere and scrapped or, you know, I doubt they'd try and scrap it where it is. I think they'd make every effort to refloat it and take it somewhere to, you know, to to, to recycle it properly, basically. But mm. you know that that's eventually what ends up what ends up happening with these things. Like it's not know? obviously been maintained or anything, so it's it's a rust bucket basically. Yeah, well, it's kind of an old ship anyway. I think, isn't it? it was it was if I, my information is correct, I think it was built in 1977, maybe. So yeah, yeah it's not in its first flush of use anyway. Yeah. Um, and and certainly it won't be the better for its 17 months bouncing around the Atlantic Ocean. It's um, not like and, some, and, It's not like some crazy lunatic will buy this and turn it into a yacht or something. <laughs> well, unlikely, I'd say. The, 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 the complications of doing that. Let me put it to you this way: they, they 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 talk about pouring money into old houses. You know, pouring money into old ships is 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 generally not recommended. They're very very expensive things at the best of times and certainly when they get to a certain age it's better just to let them go I think you know and certainly there wouldn't be much I mean that's not the you know not the ugliest looking ship I've ever seen but I'm not sure uh, I mentioned mentioned last week on the show and I don't know if it's still there because it's a few years now since I was over there but there is an old boat in Lanzarote and is literally sitting there like an old hulk for mm, years, mm, just going mm, rotten. It's, it's mm, a horrible mm, eyesore. But mm, when I was asking a friend about it, he said, no one knows who owns it. It yeah, just yeah. washed up. Yeah, yeah, it does happen. It does happen. But, I mean, we, we'd have a fairly, we'd have an excellent track record in Ireland of, you know, stepping up and taking responsibility here. It's, you know, yeah. it, it's one of these functions of the state, really. I mean, nobody will want it to, you know, will want to run the risk of polluting the environment and so on. But, yeah, there's a very real cost involved here. Okay. Um, so, I mean, efforts will be made to find the owners and to, you know... And as you said, there's a rumour out there now that someone has come forward purporting uh, to own it. So, so, so I believe, but, you yeah. know, it was, time will tell whether, whether yeah. that holds water or not, you know. Okay. Leave it there with you for the, today. That's Cormac Kirubers, who is a lecturer in the National Maritime College. So that's the latest. And again, he's only speculating about that, but that's what he's hearing. Someone actually has come forward purporting to own this thing. So we'll take it from there. But yeah, of course, everyone was saying the weekend, oh, don't be going out looking at it. We were told not to go looking at it, but Belly Cotton was absolutely wedged all weekend. And the number of photographs been taken from every different angle. I think it was people putting up mini drones and everything to get a shot at it. There's some great pictures up there, but uh, it's it, nobody wants it. Nobody wants it. It's not ours. It's rusting, and we don't want it breaking up in the water, and we don't want, we just don't want the responsibility of it. And if, unless you can find the owner, it's we end up paying for it.
John in Cove says the mystery surrounding the Alta is just east of Power Head. The Portercork have radar out on Roaches Point Lighthouse and all around the harbour. What were the watchkeepers in port operations doing to say they never picked up on this ship drifting around outside the harbour? The radar should have picked it up. Nearly every ship is fitted with AIL, which would allow you to pick up the ship on radar, including even its name. She's a ground just east of Powerhead. That's not a long distance away from the entrance to the harbour. And Kevin is actually making a point on Twitter. He said, how in this modern day and age could something like that not have a GPS tracker on it? And Tom says, is this going to end up like Irish Steel, where a foreign owner loses interest when there are environmental problems and suddenly the Irish state is stuck with a huge bill for clearing it up and making it safe? Difficult to see the Alta being taken off those rocks, says Cabsey. It's sitting solid on the high water mark, almost no water to get it afloat. Someone wants to know why don't they just tow it back to the last port it was registered in and leave them sorted out. Yeah, but who'd pay for the towing? <laughs> we would. At the moment, 1850 That ship is still there. Thanks to whoever texted me, it's still there in Costa Teguise. God, it's been there forever, like. But they use it now as a tourist attraction. It's kind of become part of the harbour, so I suppose it's only natural that it would be there. 1850 There's one of the Iron Islands as well, I think. Is there? Okay. 1850 Text to WhatsApp 083 396 I'm not too sure if you saw this video over the weekend. It was a bit distressing to watch, um, but you couldn't help see it because it went just absolutely mad on social media, on every platform, was carrying just this little video. Parents, educators, teachers, this is the effect that Give bullying has. This is what bullying does. So can you please educate your children, your families, your friends, because all it takes is for one more instant and you wonder why kids are killing themselves. This little Quaden Bales, he's nine years of age. He was being buried, or bullied in school and just bullied and battered and beaten around his school because he is a young lad of restricted growth. Now, we were to talk to Carol Rice about this anyway, and then the whole Quaden Bales thing went uh, went viral. Plus, Carol, you gave a star turn on the Tommy Tiernan show the other night. How are you? Good morning to you. I'm good, TJ. How are you? Great, and it's lovely to talk to you again. It's been a little while, but uh, you did you did great with Tommy. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. It, it was it was the most nerve-wracking thing I've done so far, if I was to be honest, you know? Let me into a little secret, or if it's a trade secret. Does he actually not know who's coming out? Oh, God, no, he doesn't. He hasn't an absolute clue. The uh, production crew that work on the series perform miracles. And I know it it had been questioned. Um, Obviously, you're watching the the breaks, the adverts. Yeah. while the production crew had been putting that step in place for me. But I had to keep this a secret for so long and keep it off social media. Gotcha. Then when you arrive at RTE, they have to sneak you in because not even the audience can see you. Like like the girl that was dealing with me, I couldn't even comment best of luck to her on her social media page because they're that like, top secret. Right. And we're kept in a separate room for for Tommy from right. Tommy right so so he actually he has, has no idea no, until and, until Fred Cook announces you yeah and he <sighs> has no research done or nothing so it's <laughs> just like you're blindsided 
you're blindsided him when you come on because um, you know I, I was saying I'm not a celebrity like you know um, does that I'm, make you even more nervous than you would be going on television because you don't know how how is the first minute and a half going to go here exactly and like you know you know he knows nothing about you and you don't know what questions he's going to ask and um, you know with, with with other presenters you know you would know that yourself you have a certain format to do but yeah there's a like Tommy is a comedian by trade, you know, so that there's that air, especially when you have a disability, you know, um, mm. as in what way he's going to take you, what way the conversation's going to go. Um, so can you imagine the knots on, in your stomach? Yeah, you must um, have been nervous about that because as part of the interview, you <laughs> said that comedy, you're uncomfortable around comedy because you, you never quite know... If, if jokes are going to be made that will poke fun at you and or people like you. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, it's not like I haven't been to a comedy show because I, I became a big fan of Des Bishop, you know, yeah. because he did all the TV shows. Out of, <clears throat> excuse me. I, I, I live in Gronavar, so as you know, he did all the show and he lived up there and yeah. all that. Um, but with regards comedy, and I said this to Tommy, you know, afterwards, that my perception of a good comedian is one that can take the mickey out of himself and not one that has to scour the audience. But it depends, as my brother explained, it depends on the type of comedian you are. And I don't like the comedians that have to go down that road. Like, yeah. y- you just take um, Brendan Grace, God rest his soul. He was able to do the drunken dad at the, the wedding and butler and all that. And that, like, that was naturally funny because that could be anyone. But, you know, when you're... When when you're in a specific genre, yeah. um, and you know you've grown up with this and been tormented with it all your life, then obviously it, it triggers a nerve with you, and it brings your emotions really down low. You yeah. know, and we go enough, we go through enough in life. Like I spoke to you before, and you know we have all the physical pain, we have the arthritis. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, so we we have enough battles in life than having to be subject to that. So, um. You know me long enough and you know, like, if I was to choose music is my number one and my, my life is spent going to music concerts, I wouldn't be a big r- running into a comedy show yeah. fan, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. But I do like a good comedy movie, yeah. like, and a good yeah. laugh. There was a slightly uncomfortable moment, I think, between the two of you at one point where he, he was saying that comedy should have no limits and it kind of didn't sit well with you and it kind of moved no. on. To that, and maybe that's what we'll do too, because I, I've no doubt you've seen that video of Quaid, and, and it must have <clears throat> hit you very personally. It did because, um, and I, I did lash out a bit on social media about it because, you know, there was there was a lot of conspiracy theories going around, and I said, irrespective of them theories, right? If you were to look at Cork City alone, I was that kid. I was that kid that wanted. I didn't know how to take my own life at 10, but I wanted to die in my sleep from being beat up every day in my locality. You know, I just, it wasn't that I didn't want to live. It wasn't that I didn't love my family. It wasn't, but I struggled with loving myself because the other kids were just vicious, you know. And I spoke about that. I was pushed down concrete steps. They stood in my head. They kicked me. I remember my mother going to the school because there was a bit of trouble and it was like, we can't help what happens on the playground. And I'm just looking at 2020 because I'm so far on for that. And I would have wished things were different. But in the 32 counties of Ireland, now I can guarantee you, 
that is happening to a person with restricted growth, a kid in with restricted growth every day, and um, be it school, be it in the community, whatever it is about society, they feel like <clears throat> they can just use us for comedic um, value. I don't find it so much with other disabilities. Yeah. I could be wrong. <coughs> Sorry, I am. I'm a fog in my throat. It's okay. Um, but like because I I have other friends, you know, with disability with different disabilities, like wheelchair users, and like uh, I I haven't perceived them getting the same taunts, the same mocks, the same stares, the same harassment that we would get um a loss, you know, yeah. um and you know. Like, uh, like you saw the inter- yeah, it did, it did resonate with me. I would have thought and it I, would because, yeah. as I said, I knew you were going to be coming on at me Monday. I wasn't expecting you to <laughs> turn up, turn up with Tommy Saturday and, night. But then I was, I was going to ask you about that video the minute I saw it myself because, yeah. it, it must have brought back horrible memories for you. It did, and you know, it's just you get a sickening knot in your stomach because you've been, you've been through him, you've been where he is now. And, uh, you know, even even my piano teacher was asking me if I could reach out to him because I've come through the other side, you know. Um, I don't know what it is. You know, as you grow older, um, I suppose, like, I still go through it. I, I still go through, like, the people, the pointing, the staring. But there's a light bulb that goes on in your head as you get older, you know, when you learn to go into your own. And it's, it's, it's a realisation that, they have, it's the people that do all that to you, they're the people with the problem. You know, I don't have a problem with myself, yeah. you know, but certainly certain types of society do. And But when you're 10 and 9 and 10 and 11 years of age, it's such a vulnerable age because yeah. you're pre-teens and all you want to do is fit in. But yeah. would you believe, PJ, like I, I listened to the video... Like, I still have people that come up and pat me on the head. I know. I couldn't believe that. I remember talking to you about it before. And yeah. I thought, what kind of an idiot walks up to someone in the street and starts patting them on the head in 2020? Yeah, exactly. You know, like I often looked, you know, you, you sometimes get you get tired of commenting back, you know, but I'm like, I'm not a, do- a dog, you know. Um, yeah, who, and, and then my friends laugh because I'm like, yelling with their mind the hair it takes me so long to the to get the hair in place but that's me being funny about it you know brushing yeah. it off but yeah yeah, yeah it, 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 it's a crazy world like scratching there, you know? scratching his head or rubbing it that's how i say hello to my cat do you know what i mean yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you know and God i get my. like i get back in the day you know you see a kid you pat them you know when they're one two and you know but or three maybe three and yeah. um, but it, it you know would have happened with kids, even kids in society today, you know. Yeah. Huh. And another thing that really annoys me, right? Because I get asked this a lot, and you can see from the video how distressed. Because if I mention that I get mock stared, pointed up, the first initial reaction of people is they ask, "Is it children?" And in response to that, now, and I, I try to explain that I was a kid once, but whether it is the dog in the street, kids or adults, no one has the right to subject to you to that abuse. Yeah. I get kids have no filter, but how you react with your child dictates how they will think and feel in the future. And it's your onus as their parent, their guardian, their family member, to just correct them. You know, you don't have to go vicious because, you know, kids react different ways. Yeah. Well, but- kids, like you said, they have, they have no filter. So therefore, yeah. when they see a room full of adults... Yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. one of them is small. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, unusually small. It is natural for well, it's not natural, but you know what it it's what a child is gonna do is they're gonna they're gonna ask their mom or that what what's wrong with that lady or what's wrong with that man? Why are they so small? That's that's children's curiosity. What should we do as parents or or relatives when a child in our company asks a question like that? Well, I always give the advice that my mother, like, you know, I we were all kids too. I'm the youngest of six, you know, so it's, it's not that we would have probably noticed difference, but my mother used to hear us inside and say, we're all foreign different. We're all unique. It takes a world full of different people to make the world go around. So um, I think a good one is, you know, if, like if I was to explain... You know, if I was to explain it to a kid, if they asked me why was I born, and there was a good line that another girl used to use, she'd ask them, if it was a boy, why are you a boy? And they say, because I was born that way. So that kind of, then your answer would be, because I was born that way. And when you explain that to children, they're very receptive. A lot of them move on then to, you know, what's your favorite sweet or something. But um, I think, like, you, you have to know yourself. If a kid points, laughs, and stares, and you ignore them, they're going to shout louder, they're going to point louder. If you laugh with them, they think they're being funny, so they will continue to do it. So, um, all, like I said, all it is is explaining to them, like you would explain to them about anything else that they would ask you in school about, you know, or okay. when they come home from school. It's as simple as that, because kids are like sponges. They are absorbing the information, mm. and once they understand this, um, they move on. Like, I'm not saying every kid, because... I don't face some kids, you know. Um, some kids will just come over and say hello and they, they'll ask you any question they want, you know, and it might be even to do with your height. Then you'll get kids that will question um, and that's perfectly fine because, you know, we're all here to educate, you know. Mm. And they, they might come over and say to me, I love your makeup or I love your eyeshadow, which is really cute, you know. And But then you have the malicious kids that will just yell, verbal abuse at you and you know PJ you as an adult if you saw a kid you know like your average height if you're walking down and a kid is shouting horrible stuff at you and the parent is ignoring it totally how would you feel and you know you're an average had average height adult and um, maybe with not a disability just mm. a regular Joe so because my parents brought me up to respect our elders and you can't talk that way to an adult and you see, if they're talking that way to an adult, imagine how they are treating the children that they are in class with. I always say, we always say the last little person has yet to be born. It's a genetic condition that, you know, any parent could have a child of short stature. So, you know, unless these issues are solved now and with social media it's getting even more vicious yeah. than when I was a child. Social media can yeah. be, as we've discovered so much, particularly with relation to Caroline Flack and, and others, yeah. like, it's it's a incredible invention. It's it's one of the most incredible things that has been invented for us as a society to communicate with each other. But it's a horrible cesspit it as is. well. And we have a society, I feel, has become very dehumanised. You know, we love putting each other down we love um we love trolling one another you yeah. know <clears throat> and it, it, it it's desperate like the amount of pour out from my video yeah 
on Tommy Tiernan. The love, the support has been amazing. But you always get the one or two trolls, you well, know? Let me pause it with you there for a second, yeah. Carol, all right? Because I do want to talk to you a little bit about that. No I'm, talk- I'm talking to Carol Rice, following on from her uh, fabulous interview with Tommy Tiernan on Saturday night. And I guess in the wake of the whole Quaden Bales thing, which you will have seen on your own social over the weekend. I want to take up a little bit on the trolling in a minute or two. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Courts 96FM. With the solid fuel depot of Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kill dried wood and gas. Solidfueldepot.ie <laughs> Quartz 96 FM's Crazy for Cali is your pass to party. Win your way to California, the home of A-list celebrities, artists, and DJs. Four nights stay in Palm Springs, three nights in L.A., return flights, and 1,000 euro spending money. Stay listening to Quartz 96 FM for your cue to text or WhatsApp. Somebody Remember, download our phone app so you can listen everywhere. Listen everywhere. Quartz 96 FM's Crazy for Cali. With AmigoLoans.ie. Starts Monday, March 2nd, only on Quartz 96 FM. This is Quartz Gold, Imro award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Talking to Carol Rice about many things to do with with just being kind and and disability and accessibility and all of that. But I wanted to come back to the trolling uh, thing, Carol, particularly in the wake of of Quaden Bales and Caroline Flack and all of that. There were a lot of people in the last week or so were doing this hashtag be kind thing. And we were all, to be fair, we were all kind of watching what we say on social media in the wake of 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 um, Caroline's death. And, and then the whole Creighton Bales thing broke. Are people not quite as nice offline as they are pretending to be online sometimes? No, I find people... I no, like I'm mentioning not genera- any names. <laughs> I'm not generalizing um, everyone, you know. Mm. Obviously, they are like I have amazing people around me now, um, and I'm not saying I'm not branding everyone, but there are some people that I find very fake. When something like this is released, they jump on the the bandwagon, you know, and you're watching them saying you you can't jump on. Like, you can't jump on the bandwagon when it's a celebrity and when you know, like, you're... Just say now you're a big influencer and you like, you know, everyone will see it and they think you're so kind. You, you know, you're such a preacher, you know, of great things like mental health and stuff. But, like, you can't do all that but yet put down, say, a minority society that is very vulnerable in the community. Does that make sense? It does. Because yeah. you're either kind to everybody or kind to yeah, nobody. Ex- exactly, exactly. You know, so that that's my feelings about it. You know, and I've lived incidences. A recent one, like you said, without mentioning any names, that that would have happened to me in Cork, and you know, the whole little people community were 
uh, in the uproar about it, you know, and even with that poor, that poor child Was in this Australia, stuff that someone, we're not mentioning names, no. people were saying on their whole, on all their platforms, they were doing be kind, be kind, be kind, yet they weren't being so kind to you and others off, on other platforms. Um, it, not particular me, but it's just using derogatory terms that are very offensive to the little people community. They allowed that be... They, they, they call themselves them names when they're in fact not little. Do you know? Um, like, it would be like me using, say, a, commu- a word that affects the LGBT because I'm not part of the LGBT, but just because it doesn't affect me, I can call myself it on my my platforms, you know, and allow it to be used on my stories on, say, Instagram. And, you know, like, you get everyone to, you know, you might get people to use that because they don't understand how offensive is it. But, you know, when you're a big influencer, PJ, if it was you now, say, because you're in radio, mm. um, and you use the word, and then I put you, you know, you were put by parents on it, you know, privately, because they have kids with restricted growth, or I might have put you... Then, you know, you might say, oh, sorry, um, I didn't know that. I, I apologize. I will never use it again, mm. you know. And, and we understand that because everyone's human. But when you don't even get an apology for it, and then you see that person talking about, out about that social media need to be accountable for the words that they say because it was Caroline Flack, you know. Mm. And um, that, that, that infuriates me as well because... You know, you need to practice what you preach. You can't think that way for celebrities or, you know, and, and, you know, the same person is great about mental health. And I keep questioning, you know, mental health is an awful thing. We suffer from it ourselves. But why don't people understand that when they preach about mental health, how can they use such derogatory words that are offensive to a little people community and then not wonder how the little people community's mental health isn't affected? Yes. Like, it, 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 it's common sense. And, and that's why I beg people, like, we've been begging for such terms to be eradicated so that <laughs> kids coming up won't know them words. Interestingly, you, know? you, you went through the, the terms with Tommy Saturday yeah. night, and particularly yeah. the words starting with the letter M. You yeah. have a, And then he men, you mentioned Peter Dinklage and yeah. Game of Thrones. And that word was constantly used in Game of Thrones. I wouldn't have what, and I'm surprised at that. But oh, it was I constant. That's what he was known as. Yeah, you know? I wouldn't have watched Game of Thrones now personally. I tried to get into it because everyone else was in, and I was he, like, what he was, he was my favorite character in it. Yeah. That's why I asked the question. Sorry about that, now, but I wasn't aware of that. What yeah. I was saying about Peter Dinklage, he is an actor. Um, I suppose he's an advocate in the sense that. He, he didn't allow himself, you know, as an actor to be just put into any role. Do you get what I mean? Like, yes, I do. Um, yeah. He fought for every role that he got himself into. Um, like, he didn't accept being a little person in a, da- you know, in a mm. dance video, you know, or being an elf at Christmas. You know, he, he was very strict about that. Now, I wasn't aware that that word was... Yes, it was very common. Yes. No, it was used always um, in a derogatory sense against him. He was a very strong... He was, like I said, my favourite character in it. Yeah, he was yeah. a light and devil. He was yeah, a demon. Yeah. Absolute yeah, yeah. demon. Brilliantly, <laughs> brilliantly funny. I, absolute demon. But the, 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 I kind of said to myself when I was watching it, I said, that term, that's the N-word to little people. Oh, it is. 
Yeah, it you is. You don't use it anymore. I wonder why they put it in the script, but that's maybe what they were doing. I don't know. Carol, um, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, as always. Thank you, PJ. And um, my apologies for not being able to make it in this morning. I would have loved to, but maybe some other Another time day. Maybe. Another yeah, day for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, All right, listen, yeah, thanks yeah, ever yeah. so much, and well done and again on, on Saturday. I just want to say before you go, thank you. You always give me a pa- platform when I need to voice important stuff. And I am so appreciative of it. I just want to say that um, to 96FM, Deirdre, yourself, you know, thank you for always kind of being there when I need to speak out and stuff. So not thank a, you for not, that. Not the bother because you always make an outstanding contribution to the show. Thank you so much, Carol Rice. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96FM. <laughs> 1850-715-996, text 083-396-9696. That's also the WhatsApp number. The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. Don't forget the Twitter is at opinionline96. You can also message us through the Cork's 96FM Facebook page. Just on Carol, lots of love in the room for Carol. There's always a lot of love in the room for Carol. Jude says, great interview, beautiful girl, inside and out. Uh, Kevin's the one sticky part of the interview that had him conflicted. The question of comedy, should stand-up have limits? Still torn on it. I asked uh, Ross Brown that question, actually, when I was uh, had Ross on my podcast a couple of weeks ago. I must uh, remind myself of what he said in response. And I'm not going to be kind to everyone, says Kev. Everyone doesn't deserve it. Most do, but it's not an, an absolute. Yeah, the whole be, be kind thing... You have to be kind, but at the same time, wit and fun, when does it become unkind? That's someone's, everyone's perception of when it becomes unkind will be different, I guess. Uh, to everyone in Gwaleskull and Gort Alling, could we give a shout out to the teachers, the staff and the pupils of Gwaleskull and Gort Alling in the Tankfield moving into their brand new school this morning. Thank you from Terry. And John, just back on the Tommy Tiernan thing, there was an awkward moment in the interview when they were talking about the limits of comedy, but she had the emotional intelligence to pull away from it. If she'd engaged, it could have been a very different type of interview. Comedians are making a big deal at the moment about their right to make offence, not just Tiernan. Uh, There are many other examples. But in almost all cases, it's not funny. It's just throwing your power on stage against a weaker target. Say that interview was excellent. Tommy Tiernan said to Joanna Reardon about her being like football and she thought it was very inappropriate. Yeah, it was. I saw that. I go, oh, Tommy, Jesus. You know. <laughs> and then says, PJ, I find it strange that the likes of Tiernan who ridiculed Down syndrome have mocked the victims of the Holocaust should have shown Ortiz says Khan. Well, Khan, you've got the whole Down syndrome thing wrong because there was no, the Irish Down syndrome association had no issue with the routine that Tommy did in his show. None. In fact, they issued a statement in that regard, but that was conveniently dropped by people who wanted to have a cut-off, Tommy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 1850 I'll come back to those, but I want to look at this Graham Dwyer case, which, of course, with the massive Cork interest, we're, we're following and we're waiting to see what the Supreme Court will say. It's the first time the court is ever sitting in Waterford, um, but it's not the first time there's ever been a judgment on television. That happened for the first time back, I think, in the back end of 2017, where the Supreme Court delivered its judgment on live television. Now, the one it's delivering this morning on live TV is... The, it's the Graham Dwyer case. It's, it concerns his a decision of the High Court in 2018 
upholding his challenge to a law on mobile phone data. And, and if he wins in the Supreme Court, it could have massive implications, not just for his conviction of the murder of Elaine O'Hara, but other cases too. And he was convicted a lot. A lot of the evidence used to convict him and, and place him at the scene and place him here and there was down to phone data that was hoovered from various providers and, and used to pinpoint his movements and his actions. And that's a massive part of, of modern investigation. And this Supreme Court decision to be delivered, we think, at 11 o'clock in Waterford on the television could have huge implications for the future of that practice. Let's get a, an expert's view on it. Um, Sean O'Connell is a lecturer in constitutional law at UCC. Sean, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. In as simple terms as you can, please outline for listeners what is the Supreme Court deciding this morning and why it is so important. Okay, so the Supreme Court isn't actually deciding on Graham Dwyer's conviction. That, that's not what's an issue here. But mm. what the Supreme Court's deciding on is whether some of the data used by the guardie to identify Dwyer as a suspect in the case, whether that was obtained legally. Uh, and the issue goes back to a very technical issue, which I won't get into with, with the law which the guardie used to gather that data. It's l like you just said, the mobile phone data is amazing what it does. Your phone is constantly pinging off satellites and servers with GPS or its mobile phone signal or it's the internet. It, it follows you everywhere. Every time you do something, your mobile phone pings and lets about four or five different services know where you are, what you're doing, what height you're at, if you're moving, if you're stationary, if you're looking up something online. So it's a huge amount of data that Gardaí can gather and use. And the question is, are they allowed to do that? Mm. Um, the, the reason they thought they were allowed to do it was because there was an a, a EU law which said you were allowed to do that. And as a result, we passed an Irish law, which then said, OK, we'll copy the EU law. But it turned out that that EU law wasn't framed correctly. The, the European Court of Justice said, actually, guys, you've made a mistake here. You can't do that. So the question for the Supreme Court today is, is the Irish law, does that have to fall because the EU law fell as well? Um, and, and generally speaking, you know, if, if an EU law falls, you'd, you'd suspect the Irish law should. But there are a few exceptions, and that's what the Supreme Court is looking at. Yeah. If it were to fall, would it mean then that a lot of the evidence that the Gardaí used to focus on Dwyer, does that, would that then become inadmissible and would it, could it possibly involve implications for his conviction? It, it, it very much could. It would be definitely a live issue. It, it's very hard to, to, to judge that because the Supreme Court won't be deciding on that yes. today. They'll, they'll be moving on. But yes, the, the Americans have this concept as well. Uh, we have it, look, for very good historical reasons, BJ, we as a nation have suspicions about the overbearing power of the state. Okay, we we don't need to get into that, but mm. we've 800 years of tradition of that. So, so our legal system protects people who are on trial because you've got the entire force of the state investigating you. So, what our legal system says, okay, look, we're going to tie their hands behind their back a little bit. They have to follow all the procedures. They have to follow all the rules. They have to give you every chance to prove that you weren't involved, or more so they have to prove that you were beyond a reasonable doubt, which is a very important part of our legal system. So if it's like a Jenga block. Can you imagine if you took the bottom block from Jenga, 
everything else falls, doesn't it? And, and that's the, the kind of issue that Graham Dwyer's lawyers are going to raise. They're going to yeah. say, well, if you didn't have this mobile phone data, you wouldn't have been able to identify him, you wouldn't yeah. have got his computer, you wouldn't have got that. So the Americans have an interesting term in it. They call it the fruit of a poisonous tree, that everything else is corrupted because the first thing wasn't right. Yes. What I'm thinking reading about this over the weekend is if it is a thing today that the Supreme Court finds in Graham Dwyer's favour, does that not make his conviction unsafe if it was based on material they shouldn't have had? It, it, it's it a very be. simple version of yeah. the question, but... Yeah, and, and, and generally speaking, you, you'd be inclined to say yes, it does. Now, the law does allow certain exceptions. For example, was this fully raised during the time of his trial? You might remember a good number of years ago, about 15 years ago, there was a significant number of men who were convicted of statutory rape who were subsequently released temporarily because their conviction was unsafe. I remember that. But in, in that case, the Supreme Court turned around and said, well, actually, you didn't raise that defence at the time about the law being unsafe, so you can't then turn around 10 years later and rely upon it. So, so that, that could come into play with, with Graham Dwyer as well. A few other issues that could come into play is if the guardie could say, well, we would have found him as a suspect another way, and they have to show to the court another way in which they would have identified him or come upon this data anyway. So it, it, it's a live question, but I think it would put serious, serious doubts on the conviction, and, and it would be a bit of an uphill struggle for, for the state to, to maintain their position after that. Frank is making the point here that if the Supreme Court goes in his favour, it'll, it'll have massive implications for the future of Garda investigation. It, it will, because the Gardaí have become very adept at using this information. And, you know, if we, we think back to the Graham Dwyer trial, it was, there was a lot of very tragic detail and a lot of upsetting detail. But one thing stood out was the amazing skill, resource and intelligence used by the Gardaí in the investigation. But it was because they had this tool available to them. Remember, you know, there was, there was hundreds of steps in that investigation where it could have fallen down, but a guard that didn't give up, or a member of a public report or something. The guard, remember, at one stage, a guard went home, thought about it overnight, wasn't happy, and went back to the scene and found the, the done right. stores key That's fob, right. yes. which, which helped them identify more. You know, so there's lots of steps where these things can fall down, but if it falls down at the, at the crucial stage there with the mobile phone data, because that was linked to so many other elements of that trial, it, it could be very problematic. And mm. if we look at the gangland stuff that, that, that's going on in Dublin, Drogheda, and around the country, of course, they, the Guardi rely very heavily on mobile phone data. You know, mm. a, a mobile phone, it, we, we all have them now, and, and they, they trace everything you do. You know, if you're a criminal... It would be mad to have a mobile phone in many ways, but you know it's such a crucial part of life that you need one. But if, if the Guardi had that tool taken away from them, they, they would struggle with a lot of conviction, particularly in the organised crime, terrorism kind of sphere. That, that, that's what really comes into play more than others. And just briefly, on a, maybe a broader question, um, Sean, in relation to GDPR, anecdotally, and I stress that word, anecdotally you hear that since GDPR took effect in May of what, 2018, certain certain avenues of investigation are already being blocked to the Guardi. Yeah, so there would be uncertainty. I suppose with GDPR, it, it gets a lot of attention, but it, it doesn't necessarily impact a, a guard investigation in a straightforward way because guardy have powers to, to obtain data in other ways. But what it might do is when a guard is looking for soft information, when they're looking for the kind of the background stuff that might lead them to mm. be able to use their more formal powers, that it could be impacting them on that. And, and that's where it might have... But it wouldn't be a direct impact because the guardy have other powers under law to, yeah. you know, to get search warrants and things like that. But one of the interesting things that has arisen, though, in connection with GDPR, is a lot of people have started putting um, mobile phone encryption 
software on their phones because they're concerned about data protection more generally. And this has become a real issue in the United States with the FBI, and it's become an issue here in Ireland. There was a a high court case about it where the Guardi can't break this encryption. So there was one alleged member of um, a crime gang in Dublin who had his phone encrypted, and the Guardi couldn't break the encryption. So they have strong suspicions that there's clear evidence on the phone that the crimes have been committed, but they can't break the, 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 yeah. the encryption on it. And, and, and that's the, maybe the, the live issue for them at the moment. Okay, okay. 11 o'clock in Waterford, the court sits. Um, Supreme Courts are not known for delivering their judges quick, uh, or their judgments quickly, so it'll probably be an hour, I suppose, before we get to the bones of it, will we? Uh, yes, yeah, so, so it, it will be effectively because they'll, they'll set out the background, they'll go through the whole series of it. It's a very procedural matter, really. Uh, it, it is interesting to see, but it will take a lot of time before you get to the numb of it. All right, okay, thanks for that. That's John O'Connell, uh, lecturer in constitutional law at UCC. That hearing starting in about 40 minutes in Waterford. If we hear anything before the end of the show uh, about whether it's come down in favour of ground wire or not, we'll, we'll bring it to you. But these judgments take a long time to deliver. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie Corks 96 FM wants to send you and a friend to one of the most famous places in the world. Cali. Cali. Win your way to California where the biggest stars party. Stay listening to Corks 96 FM for your cue to text or WhatsApp. If we call you back, answer your phone with a winning phrase. I'm crazy for Cali with Corks 96 FM. To get in the grand final. Remember, download our phone app so you can listen everywhere. Listen everywhere. Quartz 96 FM's Crazy for Cali. With AmigoLoans.ie. Starts Monday, March 2nd. Only on Quartz 96 FM. This is Quartz Gold. Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. Now, towards the end of last year, indeed for most of the second half of last year, we were following very closely the story of the uh, Dairy Gold cheese plant, the proposed cheese plant for Mogili, and particularly its implications for people in East Ferry. Uh, locals there were very concerned that Dairy Gold's effluent from the cheese plant would be coming into the water there in East Ferry, and they were worried about its environmental implications. Now, we got word as well towards the end of last week that despite all of the local objections, that the Environmental Protection Agency has granted Dairy Gold a licence, and that licence will involve bringing the effluent out in exactly the place that the local residents were concerned about. Uh, I've been talking to Green Party County Councillor Liam Quaid about what happens next. Liam, thanks for taking my call. Just outline again for listeners what the problem is with this development. Yeah, well, I suppose uh, even before that, I just want to say that I fully support the actual cheese plant itself. And yeah. I think anybody who made an objection to the waste discharge plan would, would probably be on the same page as me on that. The problem that we have with this uh, discharge waste is that basically with the sheer volume of it, 
So what we're talking about is 4 million litres of wastewater per day being discharged into a narrow channel of water in East Ferry. Now, within that, um, that water is treated, but there is 60 kilograms of what's known as fats, oils and greases, along with detergent from the equipment in the plant uh, that will have accumulated within that 4 million litres per day going into that part of Cork Harbour. This amounts to 22 tonnes of fats, oils and greases per year. Now, if this was uh, discharged to the open ocean, this would not be a problem <clears throat> because it would dis- it would disperse out yeah. into the sea. Um, Dairy Gold have claimed that the fats, oils and greases that accumulate will be washed out in the ebb tide. Mm. Um, they have no source or basis for that figure. And research from the 70s uh, refutes that and gives it far more pessimistic. Well, I'm sure if I were to ask Dairy Gold, <laughs> they'd cite me a source for something. Well, they haven't produced that. Uh, also, in 2012, the NUIG produced research showing that it would take 60 days for this part of Cork Harbour to flush out. So, uh, in addition, research actually provided by Dairy Gold itself has shown that uh, basically there will be a significant drop in water quality in, in Cork Harbour because of this, and there will be a major accumulation of nitrates and phosphates in the water. So we were really hoping that the EPA would make um, its decision based on ethics, based on scientific evidence and EU directives. We had the absurd scenario over the summer of 14 kilometres of road being dug up to put down um, the, the wastewater pipe yeah. before the EPA had actually granted a licence for that. Yeah. So... In terms of where the discharge comes, Eddie English from Sale Cork outlined it to me a few months ago. He said, you need to be putting this stuff into water that moves very significantly. But down there, that's not going to happen. Well, that's exactly what the research has shown us. And not only that, but uh, the discharge point is beside two areas of conservation designated under EU directives. So under those directives, a Jerry Gold would have to prove beyond reasonable doubt that the species and habitats there would not be adversely affected. Yeah. Not but how, how did the EPA then grant a licence against, against the backdrop of that environmental information? Well, this is, this is the question that, uh, that everyone is left with. What happens next? I mean, is onboard Planola an option here? Um, there's an option now to make a further objection to the EPA itself, and we're going to have to do that by the 17th of March. So the community is, is definitely going to be coming together um, along with myself and, and, and possibly other representatives locally to, um, to, to go about that. Um, because as much as we're very disheartened by this and disappointed, we're very determined that this uh, area of natural beauty, this area of conservation is not going to, to just be uh, subjected to relentless yeah. pollution. And you've so, all been very quick to stress... This factory is very much wanted for the area. It's a good industry. Just yes. take your waste out elsewhere. Exactly. And, you know, the, the residents themselves, actually, some of whom have submitted very authoritative um, documents to the EPA, have, have themselves come up with possible alternatives. But aside from that, Dairy Gold is actually obliged under those EU directives to come up with alternatives, and it has, no, it has made no meaningful effort to do so. Um, as I said, if this were discharged to the open ocean, um, it, it, it would be regarded as not uh, posing a threat mm. to, to water quality. To, <clears throat> to and I'm sure the research water. has been done, uh, Liam, as to how much it would cost to take it to the open ocean, because presumably what the company have done, I say presumably because they're not here to ask them, pr- presumably this is the most cost-effective way of disposing of the waste. Yeah, I think it's hard not to draw that conclusion. 
um, because which for any company, I guess it's it's you know that, that's that's just commerce. You will do things the most cost-effective way. You will, but I suppose you also have to look at the environmental cost. And I think what we're seeing in recent years is that um, basically, if we disregard our natural environment, we're um, we're potentially putting everything at risk. And you know, my, my own journey into politics was around realizing that the natural environment is actually foundational to having any kind of functioning economy in the long run or any uh, viability in the long run. Yeah. So, um, so the, ne- the, the next step, not to cut across you, but the next step yep. is to appeal this EPA decision and you need you need locals to get involved. Oh, the locals are, are already involved. Yeah. We're going to be meeting in the coming days and we're, we're going to be putting our heads together around this. Um, so, I mean, there's already been, been a wealth of, of um, very strong submissions um, put forward. So it, it's about kind of going back over those and seeing, is there, is, are there any other um, pieces of evidence that we can bring in? And the deadline is St. Patrick's Day, which is just a few yeah. weeks away now. That's right, yeah, yeah. All right, Liam, we'll leave it there for now. I'm sure we will come back to this one. There'll be no one swinging a shovel in anger on this project for quite some time, I suspect. Yes, I would imagine so. Thank you very much, Liam. Thanks for having me on, PJ. This is me. I spoke to Councillor Quaid there just sort of the back end of last week. With regard to the digging up the road and the preparing of the pathway for the... There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing illegal in that. Doing it before the licence was granted. That happens all the time. Just preparing the ground before the licence. There's nothing illegal in that, in case anyone thought there was. Uh, 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With a solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Call and collect or get seven-day delivery for those cosy nights in. Solidfueldepot.ie. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi, it's Michael here with your update on Cork's live scene. Music Cork returns to Side this April with a host of music industry figures speaking at the three-day event at the Metropole Hotel. A hugely beneficial seminar for anyone with an interest in working in the music business. More information can be found at musiccork.com. One of the most exciting live comedy performers in the world, Jason Byrne, is coming back to the Everyman. Jason has had a hard year, but he doesn't want to talk about that as he tells us he's wrecked but ready. You can see what it's all about when he comes to the Everyman Theatre on February 28th and 29th. Access all areas. If you have a gig, show or exhibition coming up in Cork in the next few weeks, drop us a line here at Access All Areas. You can mail us on AAA at 96FM.ie and we'll tell Cork all about it. Access All Areas. Your We've been catching up or trying to catch up with the situation in the Canary Islands. We think some of the airports are open again and people can get in and get out. But flights, dozens of flights were cancelled over the last couple of days because of a thing called La Calima, which is basically a sandstorm. Vicky Corcoran is in Las Palmas in Gran Canaria. Vicky, good morning. Good morning. Not now, such a good morning here, but good morning. Yeah. Has, has the storm abated? I'll talk about that in a minute. Has that has that calmed a bit? Um, it has. There There is still dense, very poor visibility. Uh, what looks like dense fog, it isn't dust anymore. Um, however, visibility is very poor. Right. Um, it's the worst that they've ever seen in living history here. We have friends living here, and yeah. it's the worst ever. Yeah. Um, even breathing was quite difficult yesterday. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we're stuck in the airport and Aer Lingus are not When were you supposed to fly, Vicky? We were supposed to fly yesterday um, morning at 11.45. We got to the airport. It was 
told that we were we were actually boarding in the closed airport. So Ina, the 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 airport control closed the airport, um, and then we weren't given any information. So myself, and my mum come here, my family come here quite often. We left to go to our hotel, and I think we're actually on the move just as I speak to you. So I might actually have to hang up. Okay. But the flight has been rescheduled seven, rescheduled seven times. And somebody in the queue heard that Aer Lingus um, had made a statement that they were helping all their customers. They certainly didn't. They did issue they a statement. We had a statement that we had on the show earlier this morning, all right, more or less to that effect. It says no. adverse... They're, they're, uh, all affected guests have been kept updated, provided with overnight accommodation where necessary, oh. and will be accommodated on the next available services. Well, absolutely. And out and out lies, because careful, we have Careful now about um, using that word, but certainly it's no, not what you've it experienced. Is, well, no, it's not what anybody has experienced. We've had, um, we've had seven text updates with seven slight changes in the last 12 hours. Okay. There are no representatives for Erlingus. Um, uh, we were told to contact Iberia. Iberia wouldn't deal with us. There has been no update. There are people with children sleeping in the airport without meals, without food, water. As I said, we were in a lucky position where we were able to access our, our usual hotel. Yeah. But most people were stuck without information. And I think it's the lack of information and the lack of coordination and the lack of help coming from Erlingus. I've spoken to Erlingus representatives on the phone about six or seven times this morning, and their attitude is, well, there's nothing we can do about it. We don't know anything. Contact the airport. And do Erlingas have a desk there? I mean, that's a major airport. No, they don't. They they, they work with Iberia. Okay. And Iberia just are throwing their hands up in the air saying, oh, we don't know. Contact Erlingas. So... Um, it's just infuriating that a statement that we see from Aer Lingus to face the absolute opposite of what we've all experienced here. Yeah, because people had to I, sleep in the in the airport, you said, last night. Yeah, people had to sleep in the airport. Um, we were Luckily, we only had hand luggage, so we were able to leave. People were waiting for bags. There was a big pile of bags, apparently, downstairs. Nobody was informed that they were there. You queued for an hour then to get information about a hotel and uh, at the Iberia desk and Iberia closed their desk and said there is no accommodation. So people have been queuing for over an hour to hear that. Wow. Which, which also wasn't true because when we got to our hotel there was plenty of accommodation available. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it, it's a busy time, but people are coming back now. The, the, reading the British papers over the weekend, the half-term holidays, people were coming back. So, so there would have been yes. accommodation there. Oh, weekend. absolutely. And actually, speaking of which, I'm a teacher in Clausha in Conrish, so I'd just like to say thank you to my principal, Mr. Wolf, for <laughs> um, accommodating me today. Unfortunately, I couldn't be in school. Yeah. Um, so, thank you, Mr. Wolf. So, you're on your way me. now to the airport. It has yeah. been rescheduled. Oh, no, 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 no. We're, we're at the airport since 6 a.m. this morning, quarter to 6 this morning. Oh, I see. Um, because the flight was originally changed to 9 a.m., then back to 8, then 11, then 1 then nine and now we're not sure we're just standing here and there was a little bit of movement a minute ago but it stopped again so we're not sure nobody can tell us anything from either in the airport or Lingus directly on the phone nothing so as i said when we heard that there was a statement from Lingus to say that they were taking care and keep, keeping people notified it's um completely untrue okay so and infuriating and the it is. Is, yeah the kalima is due to get a little bit worse this afternoon oh really so yeah, we're hoping we get we we get out before it does. Yeah, because that um, that'll close the airport again, isn't it? Won't it? Yes, there are flights going all morning. There are flights going. We got here at six, so uh, hopefully we'll get out. But I'm not sure. Okay. All right, Vicky. Um, good luck so and safe home if you do. And if you find if you, you find out, are there any more? Are many more people there from Cork at the moment? Oh, there's yeah, there's hundreds of people. We're all queuing. 
making friends is kind of the queue at this stage um, because we have nobody else to talk to. So there's a boy um, in front of me from Plotinusirsi, uh, and he was on Twitter. So we got a tweet from Erlingus that's maybe 11 o'clock. But again, it's all hearsay. Some people got emails, some people didn't. Some people got texts, some people didn't. It's yeah. absolutely mayhem. And, and to be brutally honest, appalling customer service, Merlingus. Yeah. Um, you know, you don't expect it from... Yeah, it's certainly the statement that the issue that we got this morning doesn't give the impression that Iberia will be handling it like um, no they, I think that's just a co-share issue it I'm is a sharing thing it is yeah yeah but yeah they so, don't even mention they don't even mention it and have, has anyone even gotten anything to eat um in the last as I said in the last 10 minutes there were uh, vouchers issued for eight euro per person um in an airport, eight euro barely gets you a couple of bottles of water. God Almighty! That's all. That is, the, the roll in the nearest restaurant is nine fifty. So, yeah. oh God, um, airports don't yeah. give me airport, particularly airports in the Canary Islands. They're notorious. Exactly, <laughs> and also we did get a notification that there would be no catering, even no water, even on the return flight. What? So that's more of an issue. Yeah, no catering on the return flight. No water. It's no, a four-hour no flight. Yeah, yeah. What are you supposed to, supposed to do for four hours with no bottle of water? Well, I, I stacked I stacked up the bottles of water, all right. But um, they they sent that notification, and then they, there was an, another um, announcement to say that there were vouchers available. Um, as I said, for eight euro. Okay. Now I didn't avail of it myself, but they were available. Um, so hopefully we get home. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Listen, yeah. safe journey. Whatever, Thank you even very if much. it's only back to the hotel. Safe journey, Vicky. Exactly, thank you. And we, we're one of the lucky ones that we do have accommodation for tonight well, on hold, but most yeah. people don't. Do us a favour, if you do get word that you're taking off, will you let the lads know and we'll, we'll, we'll mention it? I will. All I right, will cheers. That's thank Vicky Corcoran. Cheers. Uh, that's She's in Las Palmas in Gran Canaria. The Kalima is supposed to get worse again this afternoon. If you've never been in one of these things, I've been in a very, very mild one in Lanzarote. I was in holidays a number of years ago. And a very, very mild one. And it's horrible. It's It's a... When the wind changes, it brings the sand in from the desert. It is horrible. Now, the one I was in only lasted an hour or two, but it made you couldn't swim if you put a cup of coffee out on the table, out in the open air, to cover it in sand in seconds. It's very unpleasant. And they've, they've, it's been so bad out there now, it's closed the airports. It's supposed to get worse again this afternoon. Generally, they only last a day or two. They, then they calm down again. But it's, it's, it's horrible. Really, really horrible. 1850 Kevin says the airlines have obligations under EU law. Well, certainly what Aer Lingus told us runs against what Vicky just told us. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Focus coal, turf, gas and kiln-dried wood. Open late, seven days. Solidfueldepot.ie Turn up the beat and drop that noise. Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix online. I'm Demi. You can listen to the best hits non-stop playing the freshest and the sickest playlist all the time. Listen on our app or click 96fm.com. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96fm. Now, there's a, a documentary has gone fairly viral on YouTube, and certainly there's a two-minute summary of it has gone absolutely crazy of using virtual reality to 
reunite a grieving mom with her dead daughter. It's it's a woman called Jang Ji Sung, and her daughter Neon died in 2016. She was only seven. She died of a very rare form of blood cancer. And for the documentary, a production team spent months getting photographs and videos, pretty much every memory she had of the child. And then they put it all into a big computer, effectively, and they created a digital version of Neon for her. And then she put on one of these virtual reality headsets, you know, the kind of thing, and she was transported into a park where there was her beautiful little daughter. And she had special gloves on her that gave the impression of touch. And it was a virtual reality experience for her with her daughter who died in 2016. Really modern, state-of-the-art technology. And, of course, the people are asking now, is this something you could use in bereavement therapy, in bereavement counselling? Could, could it have a purpose? Could it, could it serve, serve a purpose? Eddie, Dr. Eddie Murphy is the psychologist on Operation Transformation. That's how you'll know him. But he's also an adjunct associate professor at the UCD School of Psychology, and he's interested in this. Eddie, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Good morning to you and your listeners. And thanks for taking our call. Just bereavement therapy in general to begin, Eddie. How many people actually need therapy after the death of a loved one, and what kind of forms does it take? Yeah, it's not something that um, it's not something that we we would recommend in the first instance. Uh, too often, people would say, "Oh, after a bereavement, uh, somebody needs counselling." Actually, I would uh, you know I would take the view that no, um, having the naturalistic supports uh, is is more important. Having some support, and for some people, a small percentage may need some bereavement counselling, and we do know from our work in the area of bereavement that there are uh, a number of individuals who experience a complex bereavement or traumatic uh, bereavement and they may require a little bit of psychological based work or some of, some of the work I've done over the years with, um, uh, with when there's been a sudden maybe a, ch- a sudden child death or yeah. uh, you know the, the, that may necessitate require a bit of uh, uh, bereavement uh, counselling. But I, it's something that I would say uh, is not the normal grieving process. Actually, uh, counselling isn't a requirement for yeah. that. Yeah, because bereavement yeah. is both a, a physical and a mental thing. Well, bereavement is, it, it, you know, like bereavement is what we do, you know. Uh, in the, after, after, after uh, grieving is what we feel and, uh, after a sudden loss. There, yeah. And um, so, fun- fundamentally, the, uh, the ber- and people say time heals, but actually, a good friend of mine is, uh, said, it's what you do with the time that helps to heal. Yeah. Time itself doesn't heal. It's what you do with the time that he- help- helps heals. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I think that's important. And, you know, after uh, uh, bereavement, and I'm sure people listening today are there's grief and loss. Is you know there's there's physical component to it. A lot of people can't realise that there's physical pain and there's obviously sadness and, and a sense of despair and loss. And uh, I suppose that the light of the world is a little bit uh, dimmer at that time. Yeah. And in, uh, a grieving process in in the literature, we would talk about up to two years. 
yeah. would be a normal time frame. Yeah. And I suppose, particularly for you know, I know, a direct, well, a direct. Well, for anyone, you know, for anyone, and for some people, um, uh, you know, for some people, like, uh, they can really struggle with the loss of a, a pet. Um, it doesn't have to be, you know, a, a life partner. It can be a pet that are extremely close to. And one of the things um, I know traditionally years ago. Uh, like way back, even before, before my time, people wore like a sort of a, 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 a black to, to, to show that they were in mourning, and uh, and they went maybe a black armband or something. And but you know, people when they're going back into the workplace, maybe three months later, uh, that grief ne- hasn't necessarily moved on from them. Yeah. Um, even though people think, oh God, they should be getting over it now. Yeah. But no. The, the point you're making is not not everybody needs needs help or therapy, but it is it is a long and difficult process. It is. It's Just, a challenge. And then there's there's normal age stages and uh, some well identified stages in grief would be yeah. like it could be shock or denial or yes. And uh, but there's no pathway. It's no everybody walks at that pathway. Yeah. There's no there's no A plus B equals. It's like a ball C. of uh, a, a ball of um, a twine or. Yeah. A ball of wool, it's all knotted and it's all encircled. Yeah. It's never a, a straight pathway. Looking at the technology here, and mm. it is definitely yeah. like state of the art, um, like, do you think it's something that would have merit? Okay, so it has a bit of an icky feeling, you know what I mean? If from the from looking at it from the outset, looking at this this situation, but I'm just going to t- take a step back. Virtual reality now is um, is emerging as one of those an- another tool in, in therapy, and it's uh, there's an evidence base for it in the use of post traumatic stress disorder and with phobias, for example. Um, it's it's been used a lot now with veterans coming out of, particularly developed in America, out of veterans that have been exposed to war trauma. This is a very different use of it, whereby they recreate it. Um, my, my, it's a sword and a shield. I think uh, it needs to be used in the context of having some uh, supports with the individual as opposed to maybe a TV company doing it or a commercial arm without the support of a, a therapist that would be able to support the person through the grief. The mum reported that she got a lot of uh, healing from the, the virtual reality experience with, with, with her daughter. Yeah. Um, and I suppose that's where you take it from. Would I see it as a normal or standard or commonplace uh, couldn't see it, but I would have yeah. concerns about commercialization of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I just think if it's going to be used in a therapy sense or therapeutically, then it's a therapist would have a a, compo- a part with it yeah. within. Because what occurred to me watching it um, mm. would be for someone who'd lost a loved one, maybe in sudden circumstances or yeah. tragic circumstances, had no time to prepare for it or no time to make peace for an old falling out or worse again that things happen in such a way that a body can't be viewed or maybe can't even be found like could technology like that then be be cathartic for that person could could it offer them like the virtual opportunity to say goodbye properly well in therapy so taking away the virtual reality piece one of the things we often support an individual to do who um, in, in the counselling room is uh, it's, it's called an empty chair technique for the one, and we'd ask the person to uh, t- talk to the uh, uh, to the individuals passed away who's died, 
in, into that empty chair. What would you like to say now? What would you find helpful? Because we find that that's very, that can, or can be very cathartic for, for a person. So we do that. I suppose just virtual reality brings that on a, a little bit. But that's a very old uh, way of... Um, and I, I've done that in, in counselling individuals, supporting individuals too, yeah. who may have, uh, uh, you know, an adult man or woman in their 60s might want to be talked to, their, uh, to use that, you know, what would you like to say to your mum or dad now? And it could be dead 30 years. So it's not, and I'm not, it's not bereavement therapy I'm engaging, but it's a way of actually speaking out to somebody. Some yeah. people do this very naturally. When, and it's very normal to talk to someone that's bereaved in your mind or in the daily occurrence. Yeah. But for, if you haven't done that for a long time, what would you like to say? I'd like to say, this is what I've done. This is what you've missed. Yeah. So, you know, the, the counselling is... I think particularly in terms of someone, and look, it happens in families, Eddie, we know this. Yeah. Families families have disagreements and fallings sure. out. And, and a son or a daughter or a cousin might have walked away or a grandson might have walked away and never spoken to granddad again. Yeah. And then that granddad dies suddenly and that person is torn apart by never having fixed it. Yeah, so the, it, it, so in that so one of the things a person, if a person like was uh, consumed by that, we might ask them to write a letter to the granddad. Uh, we might ask them to talk into that space that I just talked about. Mm. Um, it, and we find when you do that in a therapy, therapy space, a healing space, a space to support an individual, that that can be very uh, cathartic and can release a lot of yeah. uh, uh, caught emotions. Yeah. Do you think that this yeah. kind of technology could ever roll out? I, I would never. I'd be hesitant to say no because I can see. Actually, my fear of it is um, I could see how it could be commercialized. So I can. And uh, what do you mean commercialized now? Well, I think the uh, like technology companies or um, uh, people can uh, people can a technology company could offer to recreate. A, a family member in a virtual space. Gotcha. Yeah, and you, didn't, uh, you think it should only be ever used clinically, not, not no, kind of download it, the uh, app and create a virtual reality of yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about like we go in and get photographs done in, in chemists and, and, and you know we can offer our phone, we can uh, create. Uh, I could see, I could, I could see commercially how this um, people might uh, develop a sort of. So for in, in the non-bereavement space, I can see that you could put on a, a mask and you could interact with, uh, some, with uh, I think a technology company could develop that. Yeah, yeah I do. And that would, you'd, um, you'd be bothered by that? Well, it wouldn't be over... Uh, I, I'd be, you asked me, what do you think it would happen? I think it could happen, yeah. But I think if it's used for bereavement and therapy purposes and really co- and complex trauma, I think it's best done in a supported environment. All right. Eddie, thank you very much for your time. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. And your email is opinion at 96fm.ie. We're still waiting to know if that plane has taken off yet. 
from uh, Grand Canario, but Vicky was telling us they were actually boarded, they were on the plane and ready to go, just waiting for a departure time. But according to the weather forecast, the Kalima will be getting thicker again in the afternoon. So they, and the time is pretty much around the same time. It is the same time as it is here. So we'll be interesting to see if they actually get off the ground. Also, the South Tenerife Airport is still closed, we think. Lanzarote is open. So if anyone is stuck out there, uh, definitely thoughts with them. Right. Tonight in Cork, the first of five or six uh, rallies will be held by Sinn Féin, attended by Mary Lou MacDonald and Ono Brin and David Cullinan and, of course, local TDs in, in the various regions. And Cork has been chosen to kick it off tonight at Rochestown Park at, at 8 o'clock. And uh, joining me by phone now is the leader of Sinn Féin, Mary Lou MacDonald. Mary Lou, good morning. Good morning, PJ. And uh, congratulations on the result of the election. Um, it was it was a huge re- result for your for your party. Are you still in a little way trying to come to terms with the size of it? Well, thanks very much, uh, PJ. And can I thank everybody in Cork who came out and supported us in such huge numbers? Um, it certainly was a very significant result, and not just for Sinn Féin, but I think more generally it was clearly a vote and a mandate for change for a new government. Uh, it shouldn't be missed that Sinn Féin, but also the Greens, the Social Democrats and others represented that new wind sweeping through Irish politics and the, the hegemony, the monopoly of the Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael, uh, politics uh, is now officially over. And mm. uh, whatever about me coming to terms with the, the scale of our success, it can be certainly said that, that Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are really struggling with coming to terms with the fact that, that politics now looks different, because yeah. the people have spoken. And it's that, it's uh, a big three and now rather than a big two. Well, it is, but it's, 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 it, it, it certainly is. It puts Sinn Féin in a very, very strong position, a position that I'm absolutely determined that we make the most of to bring real change to people's lives and to deal with housing, mm. uh, to deal with runaway rents, to deal with the health service, to deal yeah. with the pension aid, all of the things that we debated so yeah. comprehensively in, in the course of the In order to election. do that, though, Mary Lou, you need to be in a government of some, some sort. Now, sure. you didn't, you got the most votes last week in the first efforts to elect a Taoiseach, but you're still nowhere near the 80 that you're going to need. How are you going to get to 80? Well, you're right. Uh, we don't yet have a government formed, and it, that process is underway. Actually, we're, we're meeting here in, in Dublin this morning, and uh, the team under the, the leadership of Piers Doherty will be commencing uh, and intensifying discussions with the Green Party over today and tomorrow and into next week, and I hope also with the Social Democrats, with Independents and uh, and with others, of course, Fianna Fáil refuses to speak do to you us. Still um, hold, Martin do, has yeah, do you still hold? Martin has thumbed his nose at the yeah. people. Do you still believe that you can get to eighty without either Fine Gael or Fianna Fáil? It, you could theoretically, uh, and if this was just a, a, about maths and if it was just about numbers, the answer to that question would be yes. But of course, as all your listeners know, government formation isn't just about maths; it's also about policy. Uh, and we are in the first instance now, and we're knuckling down very significantly uh, this week 
we are interested in building a platform with other parties that is about delivering the biggest public housing program mm-hmm. that the state has ever seen, that's about a rent freeze, that's about putting money back in workers' and families' pockets, that's about protecting mm-hmm. communities and so on. So that work has to be done. The maths are tricky, PJ. Everybody yeah. everybody can add. And, and, there, and therein is my question. I mean, look, yeah. any, any party is entitled to hold a rally wherever it wants and, and book out hotel rooms and pack them full of people and have have a rally. But I'm just wondering how having a rally tonight in the Rochestown Park Hotel will get you one vote closer to 80. But you see, that's to misunderstand what the purpose of these meetings are. I, I would describe it more as a town hall meeting or a public meeting or, you know, whatever way you want to describe it. You see, here's, here's the thing, PJ. We had the election. People came out and made their mark. They voted very clearly for us and others on a platform of change. And I actually think it's really, really important that politicians and leaders don't run away now and hide behind high, high walls and try and lock the people out of this process. I think it is really important that people have an opportunity to listen. More importantly, that people have an opportunity to put their point of view and to ask questions. Over the last week and more, I literally, everywhere I go, I'm being stopped by people who want to know what's happening, mm. how much progress has been made. And everybody, I have yet to meet a person who doesn't have a strong view or an interesting opinion that I think has to form part of the public conversation. This is an open of, democracy. Of course, of course. And but, PJ, for a long but, time... Well, you it know won't, the, it, you it know won't get thing. you closer to the numbers. But, but look, that, that work is also underway. I mean, it's, it's not either or. The, the, the in-depth discussions and policy considerations and conversations are all underway. That work is being done. That work this week will intensify and continue. But it's very, very important that we do not allow a continuation of what we've had for generations on the Watch of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, which is they were only really interested in people when there was an election, and then they get dropped, their promises mm. and commitments get dropped, and the political system moves on. I won't lead Sinn Féin in that way. I think it's wrong. I want to hear what people have to say. I want to answer the questions that we can. Pierce will be with me. Owen will be there. Donna and of course Thomas Gould, the two uh, Cork uh, deputies also. And I think it's a healthy thing. I think it's a necessary thing uh, that political leaders and political parties show the respect and the interest in the people that we serve, that we go back and have the conversation with them. That's what tonight is about. I want to say to your listeners, every single person is most, most welcome to attend. Mm. And you'll have a series of them around the country over the next couple of weeks. We will. Well, as you say, the the negotiation is going on. Absolutely. Um, And can I ask, why is Gerry Adams on the negotiating team, Maria? Well, we have a number. We actually, of all the political parties, PJ, uh, have very considerable negotiations uh, experience, and not least Gerry. He's an outgoing TD. And he's well across all of the issues. I mean, he represented until the last election for two terms. He's represented a constituency in the Gaul. And Jerry is an asset. We're, we're, we play as a team. And I, I will always invite in experience and wisdom and views to contribute to the team. Pierce Doherty is, is, is heading up the negotiating team. He's the, the lead frontline negotiator. But, you know, wise people will always uh, listen to views and take advice and perspectives as widely as possible. That's how I operate, PJ. That's, that's, that's how I operate as a person, and it's how I operate as a political leader. Mm. So, so Pierce Doherty's leading the negotiations? 
is indeed. Uh, Pierce is our, our lead negotiator. And then around him, uh, we have a team of, of Owen, Louise O'Reilly, um, Matt Carthy, David Cullina, but but others will come in and out as as the issues move on. So we need to have a conversation yeah, around why, why, why someone who has retired from politics though is there, you know? Well, look, um, because you know, people who are activists uh, and people who are political uh, and people who want to achieve things for people and for the country, you know, that doesn't switch off like a a, a, a switch in your head simply because you're no longer sitting in a dull seat. And of course, Jerry is retired. His life, no more than anyone else, when you when you, you retire from position, of course, his life is going to change and he'll enjoy more time at home and with his family and a lot of the things that he didn't enjoy over uh, a very long career. But he's still political, he's still interested, and he still has uh, valuable insights and a contribution to make. Mm-hmm. Just, you could also look as if, or, or one theory that could be formed is, well, you know now that nothing's going to come out of any set of talks, that Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael and the Greens won't be able to sit down together, Fianna Fáil won't touch ye, Sinn Féin won't touch ye, that at the end of the day we're probably heading inexorably down the road of a second election and you're already rallying for the second election. I don't accept that nothing will come out of the talks, on the contrary. Uh, and that may make it absolutely plain. Uh, in the course of the campaign, we set out our views, the big priority issues that need to be dealt with. Housing, health, the pension age, people's income levels, mm. uh, childcare. I want to tell you, I am absolutely determined that we get results on those matters. That is my job. So the talks that we are having and the engagements that we are having are real. Mm. They are substantive, and there can be. There so are, can are, are be you saying days, to me, Mary, that uh, there are uh, still uh, pos- you still change. hold out you still hold out a hope of being in government? It's not that I hold out a hope. <laughs> you, you make that sound as though it's a well. The an numbers are desperation. Well, we have we have a substantial mandate in the goal. The numbers to create a a a, a left leaning. Um, left government are tricky. Of course they are. Um, you, in, in The mathematical reality is that you might be looking at a minority administration in those circumstances. Mm. And of course, in that situation, very legitimate questions would arise around the stability and, and how, how uh, durable such yeah. uh, an arrangement would be. I accept that. I also will tell you this. Would you ask me, Hall Martin, for confidence and supply to support a left-leaning government? I'm, I'm not a fan of confidence and supply. No, if you needed, um, if you needed his help, he's done well, it before. We, we, will, we will look at, uh, at all options, but confidence and supply to me is a cop-out. I, I take the view that if you're in government, you're in government, you're around the table, you're party to the, the decisions, and then you're also accountable for them. But let me say this about Hall Martin and Fianna Fáil. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing that uh, Fianna Fáil continues uh, to seek to exclude, to marginalise and to disrespect, not me, not my party colleagues, but the hundreds of thousands of people who voted for us in the last election and all of the people in Cork who supported the Sinn Féin candidates. I think it is an extraordinary failure uh, on the part of Fianna Fáil and its leadership that they cannot find within them just the humility, the decency and the focus on the big issues because as they refuse to talk 
we have a housing crisis. As they refuse to talk, we have people lying on trolleys. Yeah. And it seems to be that they have taken a very arrogant, high-handed approach. And it's illogical. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. It's, it's counterproductive. So, so, so it's not just coincidence then that, that the first of these meetings has taken place slap bang in the heart of Hall's constituency. Well, no, I mean, we were, we would, I tell you, we'd be, I'm, I'm a dub and uh, we'd get some criticism if, if it kicked off in Dublin. People always say it's not all about Dublin, which I accept. So Cork, we, we have a very strong mandate from, from the city and the county, mm. indeed, of Cork. But right in me, Hall's uh, constituency. That well, look, wherever we go, if, if no, we're in no, Dublin, you're in the city of Antishuk. Not a coincidence is what I'm saying to you. In, in, in the city of Antishuk. So um, that's, that's, that's not my primary concern, but you will know because uh, Mihal and I have batted these matters back and, and forward that I think his position is absolutely untenable unsustainable and he is showing a, an incredible rush into the embrace of Fine Gael. and if, if he does that and if there is a Fianna Fáil Fine Gael administration that's the worst possible outcome and you're not going to convince anybody that that represents change, it represents more of the same mm. and I, I, I do not countenance such an outcome I think that would be really really bad mm. and hugely disappointing when, when, will, when will we get a government Mary Lou because we could be at this for months we shouldn't be at this for months, uh, PJ. Um, I, I think uh, listening to the, the debate and the, and the political conversation, everybody has agreed on a number of things, that this election was about change, that people want a new government, that housing has to be sorted out. We are not doing another five years like the last four years on the watch of Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Um, that our health uh, resourcing, and I see uh, again this morning in, in the paediatrics down in, in Cork, that there is again a shortfall and a problem mm. for children and, and, and for patients there. We are agreed, uh, and it has been said to us loudly and clearly, that the issue of the pension age needs to get yeah. sorted out. So actually, actually with goodwill, and if the focus was on the people, and if the focus was on what's right for the country, we could get this done um, so, certainly within a matter of weeks and it, 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 it so, should not take a matter of months. So are you reaching out again in his constituency tonight? Are you reaching out again to Micheál Martin and say, come and let's talk? Absolutely. And I have said consistently that we wish to speak to everybody in the common good. And I am saying again to Micheál Martin that there is a duty on all of us as adults, as leaders... But most importantly, as people who have been elected by the people of Cork and the people right across this state to sort things out, we have a duty. We are duty-bound to sort things out. I know Micheál Martin doesn't like Sinn Féin. There's lots of people in Sinn Féin who don't particularly like Micheál Martin and may not even particularly like Fianna Fáil. But listen, folks, that's not what this is about. People need to be leaderly and grown up about this and realise that, you know, people out on the ground, many people who come to our meeting this evening don't have the luxury of stalling things okay. and putting things on pause for weeks and months on end because they have to pay their rent and they have to get their kids to school and pay their childcare. That's what I'm about. That's what we're about. We're about making life better for, for working people, for families and for communities. Finally, on a lighter note, have you seen the thing from Sri Lanka where the flower shop has literally lifted I your saw logo? That. <laughs> I saw that. That is just crazy. I had I saw that. I thought I was... I actually thought it had been photoshopped. 
by somebody, you know, being being funny. But apparently they have. They like they they just like the look of it. I'm not sure if they're aware that it's actually a political logo. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I saw it. I laughed. I have to say, in 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 a, in a couple of weeks that have been really really. Will they be hectic. getting a legal letter? <laughs> No, they won't. Not at all. Not at all. I'll have to visit and see it at first. (laughs) All right. Listen, uh, good luck tonight. Mary Lou MacDonald, leader of uh, Sinn Féin. That event on in Rochestown Park Hotel. Thank you, Mary Lou, for joining us on the Opinion Line. 1850-715-996. Does she regret not running more candidates? I think she probably does at this stage. Um, Posters are still up on Cathedral Road. They've now become posters for the election. Uh, or, sorry, not for the election, but for the rally tonight. Uh, Carlos says that this meeting the start of the next general election. Kevin says maybe if Sinn Féin hired a tent rather than booking a hotel conference room located in Galway and only invited those with brown envelopes, then that it all be acceptable. Morris says, I feel, if, I feel Sinn Féin are going along as if they got a majority. They got less than 25%, a bit more than the other two big parties did each. They got a load of first preferences in certain constituencies, but not everywhere in the country. She was the first one going about a left-wing coalition and those parties don't seem to be engaging either. There's still 75% of the country that didn't vote Sinn Féin. Uh, Fianna Fáil can't go in with Sinn Féin because with both of 37, who becomes Taoiseach? Well, Frank, that'll be part of the negotiations, dude. That'll be, that, that, that's where the fun starts. That's where the fun starts. 1850-715-996. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the solid fuel depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Open seven days for smokeless coal, turf, kill dried wood and gas. Solidfueldepot.ie. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96FM. The 96FM Cork Diary is a free service. So if you're a community group, a non-profit organisation, or if you're involved in a fundraising event, let us know and we'll tell Cork all about it. Email your event details to corkdiary at 96fm.ie The Cork Diary. With the Wellbeing Network, it's time to look after you. See the wellbeingnetwork.ie On Cork's 96fm This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 0833 96 96 96 On Cork's 96fm there's something. The Restaurants Association of Ireland have announced that they're nominating someone for the Shannon. The Shannon election, to take too long to explain it, but any number of groups around the country can nominate someone to run in the Shannon election. The Restaurants Association have announced that Timmy Dooley will be a candidate for them in the election. This is Timmy Votegate Dooley from County Clare who lost his seat in the general election, but they've nominated him for a seat in the Shannon now. It'll be interesting. 1850-715-996. I'll read that in a minute. That's a very interesting tweet from Kate Belinsky in, in Dublin. But I want to go to, to Lanzarote, to the famous Bowron Bar and Johnny Crowley. Johnny, good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm not too bad, Squire. I'm not too bad. <laughs> Tell me something. How bad is that storm? Oh, it was very bad. Uh, it came in on Saturday. Yeah. And it Covered the whole island, blood and dust, cows, houses, everything. Yeah. Just shocking. I never saw this bad. You're there a and while now. How long are you outside now, Johnny? In the community, 30 years. 30 years. And these Kalimas, yeah. they come frequently enough, you get, but you've never seen you, one this bad. No. You get Kalima all the time. It's a sign of heat. And in this year, we had a very hot February. We never recorded before. 
and all of a sudden asked for Europe in the thirties and then Sapa just came just out of the blue. It swarmed over the whole island. Yeah. And it happens when the it, wind changes direction, isn't that right? Yes. The wind changed direction Saturday morning and it just poured in here. And cars, everything they're all yellow now. Everything I was down the town this morning, eight o'clock. The workers of the council are wearing masks today. And people are walking with masks on them. Wow. Schools are closed. Because of the heavy dust. And how long does and it take to clear then? Well, it's supposed to, there's another attack of it coming afternoon today again. Today is Monday, yes. Yeah. It's supposed to be cleared by Wednesday. I was talking to a taxi driver last night and he said definitely by Wednesday to be cleared, but it clear until then. Yeah. Are there many people out there at the moment, Johnny, from Cork? It's There's a nice few Cork people there, but the island is quiet itself the last three weeks, Fergal. Yeah. 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 It's been quiet. And. Uh, other than that, but you see, there was flights coming out yesterday and they had to turn back to Dublin. Yeah. They, they couldn't land. Yeah. And the, and there's the flights, I walked this morning out in Lanzarote Airport. I seen them in half eight going in, but the thing might have to close again today afternoon. Yes, yes. When they, they were, the, the other one, the tax coming in again today. Yeah. yeah. They got some out because where, from where you are there in in, in, in Persia, you can actually see them coming in and out. It's, 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 it's the fabulous view of them. So they were, they were going well, out and getting in this morning, were they? They were going out this morning at 10 past 8 hours down front and they were coming in but I only saw about four minutes they breaking back home. Yeah, okay. And if the wind comes up now again afternoon they will close the airport again today because there's no vision vision coming in there. All right, yeah, it's dangerous out. All right, listen, we just wanted to catch up and see how bad it was but in 30 years there you're saying this is the worst you've ever seen? This is the worst of the clean I've seen in 30 years. Yeah. All right. Every place is yellow. Houses, doors, windows, yeah. roofs. <laughs> yeah, I was I yeah. was there for a very mild one a few years ago, and it's it's not nice. It's flipping horrible, actually. This, but uh, it, if it gets into your throat at all, you'll be choked from this. Yeah, it's terrible. All right, leave it there, Johnny. Thanks very much, Johnny Crowley from the Boron Bar in Pertudel Carmen. Um, it's the worst Kalima he's ever seen in thirty years out there, and they may well have to close the airports again this afternoon. In fact, that's what Vicky was saying to us as well uh, in uh, Las Palmas. They may well have to close those airports again this afternoon. South Tenerife Airport is still closed. The North Tenerife Airport is open. But definitely, it's, it's it's what they're saying. It'll be Wednesday before it clears. 1850-715-996. Let's check this out. Um, Kate Belinsky, when I worked in Australia, I was asked to review a patient who had a pressure of speech and nurses were concerned might be manic. Parents did not, uh, the patient did not have pressure of speech. He was, in fact, from Cork. Nurses wouldn't believe me when I said this was completely normal. What's pressure of speech, though? Does that mean he speaks very fast and they can't understand a word he was saying? Actually, that's Cork. That's Cork. I don't know how many places around the country I've been asked would they ever slow down, but they couldn't understand a word we were saying. Bit of um, protest outside County Hall uh, this morning. Deputy Padraig O'Sullivan. Padraig, good morning. Morning, PJ. What, what happened there? Wind farms, I think, were the problem. Yeah, I think there's a proposal from a company called Brookfield for um, 24 wind turbines to be erected within north of Carrignavar, Glenville, Mornabby direction. So there was a silent protest, to be fair, um, and it was just basically to lobby county councillors as they came in. There's a vote on the agenda later this morning. Yeah. And what's the pro- what's the nature of their of their objection? Well, I suppose the fundamental part of the, the locals. Um, the problem is they 
they are not NIMBYs, we'll say. They're not just protesting it for the sake of protesting against turbines, but there are guidelines due to be updated from government later this year in relation to wind and solar energy. And essentially, they're just saying that this application is premature pending the publication of and the adoption of those guidelines because they're dramatically going to increase minimum distances that these, that these turbines need to be away from people's houses and things like that. So they're essentially just asking for more time before the application is lodged. There's a big piece on this in the Examiner today uh, by Mick Clifford and a lot of communities affected by it. We all say we want wind energy and we want to be generating our our electricity from the wind and God knows we've plenty wind. But every time you're trying to put up a wind farm, you have have objections to it. Yeah, well, look, I suppose... The ultimate question that anybody asks, whether they're a politician or just an ordinary citizen, I suppose, would you yourself like to live beside one? And I suppose I'd have concerns myself. Mm. But at the same time, I can speak from first hand. I was a councillor for the last six years before I became a TD. And in in my dealings with with the communities of these areas over the last 12 months, to be fair, they haven't been, you know, NIMBY, not in my backyard type people. They're sent, like, they're very professional. They've been consulted with with a whole host of engineers and other people that have lived and seen these projects developed in their own areas. And I suppose the outcome of all that deliberation that they've done, they are opposing them on the basis that the current guidelines don't satisfy their concerns. To be fair, they are absolutely huge. There's one down, if you drive down into Ring of Skiddy, there's one down there. They are enormous. I don't suppose anyone would want to live within too close to it anyway. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Look, the, the, gui- the guidelines haven't been published, but the minimum distances at present are only about 400 metres, whereas under the new guidelines they're mooted to be almost double that, if not more, towards a kilometre, depending on the height of the turbine itself. And there's going to be a calculation worked out from, we'll say, from the tip of the turbine um, to the base of the pole, how far it needs to be away from a specific house based on the height of the turbine. So those guidelines will be important when they are published and they should give people a greater deal of security, I suppose, when it does come to these developments. Okay, okay. Padraig, just on the more general issue of, of government formation, I know you're you're the newest the, the, the newest Fianna Fáil TD, well, not J- young James O'Connor and yourself are the newest Fianna Fáil TDs from Cork. Have you any thoughts on, on where your party leaders sh- should go next now, where your party leaders should go next? What, Mary Lou MacDonald has again asked Michal Martin uh, to talk to her uh, do you think that he should? Well, I didn't think I'd get away without being... No, <laughs> I didn't think you would yeah. No, but look, there's a, there's a series of meetings being set up this week with other parties. You know, Michal has made it quite clear that he's not going to engage with Sinn Féin, and I suppose the party has supported him in that. Does he have unanimous support there? Um, I would say strong support from within the parliamentary party, but mm. I suppose... Like, I, I, wonder if he held a, I wonder if he booked out City West and, and held a delegate conference with a thousand delegates and ran it to a ballot. What he did... Well, that's precisely what we will be doing when, you know, I suppose once discussions become clear or the outcomes of discussions become clear, we will be having a special order to ratify any recommendation that is made. So all the individual members of Fianna Fáil, and trust me, there's plenty of them on, you know, that have various concerns with, with different outcomes yeah. and different coalition options, they will get to, to have the final say. Well, so there will, be a con- there will be a conference? There will be a, yeah, a special order called uh, based on, I suppose, whatever recommendations or programme for government will be made. You okay, know, by, so be, by be, the before, before any decision is made to support anyone for Taoiseach, there will be a conference? Yeah, so my understanding of it is um, the negotiation team and Michal Martin, the leadership, will make a recommendation, you know, to, to, let's say that they can form a programme for government whatever, with whatever set up, and then that recommendation will be placed before our dish. And would you have a problem with your negotiating team sitting opposite Pierce Doherty and Mary Lou's negotiating team? 
Well, I suppose, look, to be fair, we, like, we've reached a consensus within the parliamentary party and I'm, I'm happy to support that setup for the time being. And to, so to the time how, being? Yeah, well, look, per- personally, and I've, I've spoken about this in the past, PJ, I'd, I'd be open to talking to, like, I suppose we, we have to form a government. We all had that mandate, yeah. um, all 160 TDs. The last thing anyone wants is a second election. Yeah, well, in my case, it'll be a third election after yes, my election. So, but genuinely, I think we owe that to people. People don't generally don't want another election, and I think the vast majority of political parties involved don't either. Um, so, look, I'd be honest, there's so many permutations and different scenarios and potential outcomes here, PJ, you know, between rainbow coalitions, between support for minority governments. There's, there's a whole host of, uh, you know, outcomes that could happen here, and I think we, it's only fair that we, we, we tease them no, all We'd have nothing by St. Patrick's Day, so Leo will be going back over to Donald. Um, Sheila O'Callaghan is being co-opted to take your, your old council seat. How do yep. you feel about that? Um, personally, I'm very happy. We, we had three we had three very good nominees for my seat. Um, one was based in Cove, one nominee was based in Watergrass Hill, that's Sheila, and the third one was based in Carrigan-Navar, so there was a good spread there of candidates. Um, so Sheila has a long track record in, in, in Fianna Fáil and in politics, in, in, in her community in general, in, in, in Watergrass Hill, and I suppose she comes from a farming background as well, which would be largely representative of the people. And of course, of she's Billy Keller, her sister. She would, yeah, and she's canvassed for Billy for decades, and she has been a great help to me since I became well, since I was a councillor and, and since I became a TD. So it's a bit nepotistic, is it? Well, I suppose the thing is, like these, we had we had three, um, I suppose, councillors to replace in light of the general election. So one was in West Cork, it was myself in in North Central, and a third one was James O'Connor in East Cork, and. The, the, the decision to fill the vacancy in West Cork was done by um, a convention yesterday evening and the, the decision to fill the other two seats was done by interview and I suppose both of those processes have been used in the past um, and I suppose look everybody has their fair chance to go sit before an interview panel and, and give it their best mm-hmm. and that's what three candidates did in this case and the panel found that you know, in, in my circumstance Sheila was best placed to, to represent us going forward in the core of electoral area. Okay, all right, leave it there for now. Deputy Padraig O'Sullivan, Fianna Fáil, thank you very much, Padraig. 1850 In fact, there have been two, or sorry, there have been four co-options this morning. Uh, Ross O'Connell has been co-opted to take the seat vacated by now Social Democrat TD Holly Cairns. Uh, Sheila O'Callaghan will re- replace Padraig O'Sullivan, as we just heard there. Deirdre Kelly of Fianna Fáil will replace Christopher O'Sullivan, the uh, outgoing county mayor. And Anne-Maria Hearn of Fianna Fáil will take James O'Connor's seat. And the new county mayor is Councillor Ian Doyle. That's just been confirmed in the last while. On Mary Lou McDonald and Sinn Féin, listen to me. Look, I, who's this clunker? PJ, you were an embarrassment. You sounded like a schoolboy being hounded by the, by the headmaster. If you didn't have the backbone to ask the right questions, don't do it. Did you ask Mary Lou why they don't recognise the Irish state? Do they support the Special Criminal Court? Why don't their MPs go to Westminster to support Ireland on Brexit? Were you too afraid? Were you ever listening to me before when I've asked all those bloody questions? Sausage. 1850 715 996. Oh, please.
The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the Solid Fuel Depot at Drew's Filling Station, Turner's Cross. Great deals on all solid fuels with seven-day delivery. SolidFuelDepot.ie Cork's 96FM's Hit Mix. Playing fresh hits all the time. Non-stop music now streaming. Hi, I'm Demi. Listen on our app or click 96fm.ie. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Court's 96FM. You'd like to think, wouldn't you? that with the economy back in some semblance of good shape that people wouldn't be suffering the heavy levels of debt that they were but in fact they are a lot of people are still despite the recovery despite the fact that the economy is doing better and there's no denying it's doing better people are still saddled with huge amounts of debt whether it's a mortgage or a credit card or a car loan someone's got everyone's got some form of debt. But what if your debt is leading you to become insolvent? What if servicing your debts, no matter how much money is coming in, no matter how good the job is, no matter how well the business is doing, trying to service the debts every month and having no food in the fridge because you're trying to service debts, that's insolvency. And it's extremely common, whether on small or large levels. We're not talking about people that owe hundreds of thousands or millions here. We're talking about people that owe 30, 40 and 50,000 and can't, can't service it. Michael McNaughton is a director of the Insolvency Service of Ireland. And Michael, I guess we would like to think that the, the rising tide has lifted all boats, but indeed it hasn't. A lot of people are left with trying to deal with debts that they just can't handle. Good morning. Hi PJ, good morning to you. No, you're certainly, you're certainly right uh, PJ. Uh, we're I think um, eight years on from the peak of the financial crisis, and really it's still with us for, for thousands of people in Ireland. Um, you know, uh, there are over 43,000 uh, people who are still in arrears uh, on their mortgage, mm. um, and 28,000 of them are in arrears for more than two years, um, which is a very worrying number uh, eight years on. And, and some of those are in arrears for, for eight years or more. Um, so it's, it's really worrying, and it's a problem that's still with us. Yeah, and people are being chased by financial institutions and people are still being dragged before the courts and losing their houses. Yeah. I mean, insolvency, it's, it's a word, you, you, you described it well, it's often associated with uh, companies, but the reality in Ireland is that uh, many thousands of people are, are showing signs of insolvency and personal insolvency is just another term to describe uh, having serious financial problems. So, mm. as you described, if you can't pay your bills and in full when they're due or you're paying a little bit off your bill to keep creditors at bay or you're getting calls and letters from creditors about mispayments and threats of repossession, uh, you may be insolvent and you're not alone. Yeah, I mean, even if you only owe someone a thousand euro, if you can never pay that, you are insolvent. Absolutely. If you can't pay your bills on time, you are technically insolvent. And how do you go about getting help for that? First of all, a lot of people wouldn't think that there is help out there. There's loads of help out there, PJ, and um, uh, just the, the reason I'm on your program uh, is to bring attention to our, uh, the ISI's Back on Track information campaign, uh, which you may have seen, and it's certainly occurring on your radio. It's airing across 
radio, TV, yes. outdoor and social media. And um, with that campaign, uh, we wanted to highlight that problem and, and acknowledge, if you like, the sense of helplessness that uh, people tend to feel when they're dealing with unmanageable debt. So our message in our campaign is no matter how bad you think your situation is, you're not on your own and there is help available. And we have, you know, uh, personal testimony from people who have availed of one of our solutions um, uh, around a huge sense of relief once they took that first step okay. uh, to get, take control of their situation. Let, let's bring it down to, to a brass tacks, simple situation, simple example. So, Michael, let's imagine that I'm someone who, even though I've got a, a, a decent job and an income, I've been unable to service my mortgage and I am a couple of years behind and I'm getting the dirty letters from the bank and no matter how hard I try, I can't sort out that debt. It's, it's, I'm, I mean, they're over my head. So what do I do? Well, okay, so if you have a particular problem uh, with your mortgage, uh, what, um, what is available to you is to uh, go for a, a personal insolvency arrangement. So a personal insolvency arrangement is a formal agreement with all your creditors that will write off some or all of your unsecured debt, for example, and restructure any remaining secured debt, so like your mortgage, even to the extent perhaps of writing off some of that debt. And when you enter that process, there's a, there's a statutory presumption that if at all possible, uh, you should be entitled uh, to remain in your home. So practically speaking, um, we have a full list of what we call personal insolvency practitioners. Pips, yeah. The PIPs, uh, who are uh, professionals um, that have been established throughout the country, we regulate those PIPs. And you can find a list of them on our uh, Back on Trap website, and I'll give you the details of those later. Mm. Uh, but, but simply speaking, you arrange uh, to meet uh, one of these uh, practitioners. They'll tell you what to bring in advance, so to, to bring uh, details around how much you owe, um, the, the level of your arrears, uh, your average spending needs, uh, your, your, you know, your, your bank statements, etc., and they will uh, examine your financial circumstances and they will describe to you uh, your options and they'll recommend uh, the best, best solution for you. Uh, and is and a bank obliged to work with these people? Absolutely. Uh, practically, uh, what happens is that if um, one of these PIPs decide that you are entitled to, for example, uh, a personal solvency arrangement, they will apply to the court uh, on your behalf for what's called a, a protective uh, certificate. And that gives you uh, court protection uh, until, uh, hopefully, uh, an arrangement uh, can be put in place. And while that's uh, in existence, the personal or the protective certificate, creditors can't contact you, they can't write to you, they can't call you, uh, and they will need to uh, liaise with your, uh, your, your, your advisor to try and come up with a proposal. Uh, that will meet uh, all of your debts. And the the good thing about a personal solvency arrangement is it deals with all of your creditors. So, you know, it's difficult enough to deal with one creditor, especially uh, if that's a mortgage creditor. But it's very difficult if you have multiple creditors. And and many people do. They have yeah. overdrafts, they have credit cards, yeah. they have uh, credit union debt, and they have mortgages as well. Yeah, like we've had these overseas companies that have come in here and taken over mortgage books and we hear horror stories that they'll talk to nobody. Mm. Well, they talk to you guys? They're obliged to, to talk to us. Um, just in terms of, you're talking about the, the funds or, 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 or what people call um, the vulture funds yes. who have bought... Um, but, but they bought whole mortgage books. That's right. And, and, and they started off buying commercial uh, loan books off the banks, but 
in the last couple of years, they have bought um, you know, uh, mortgage loan books uh, f- from the banks. And they are, um, under our consumer protection legislation, um, They, everybody who deals with those have the same protections as they have with uh, normal banks. Uh, and when it comes to these solutions, uh, the personal solvency solutions, they have the same obligations uh, in dealing with you uh, as uh, banks do. And what... Um, what happens is that that your PIP will draft a proposal for you. He, he will meet your creditors, and um, if he can get uh, an agreement uh, uh, agreed, that will uh, take place at a, a creditors' meeting. But you know there will be occasions, uh, and it happens uh, nearly fifty percent of the time at the moment, where a creditor will just say no. Uh, and in those circumstances, under the legislation, um, a, a PIP on your behalf can apply to the court uh, to have uh, an independent review of that decision. Right. And if they don't think it's a, a fair decision, they can overturn it. Who pays for all this service? Well, to a point, um, just like any other uh, professional uh, service, PJ, um, a PIP may charge a consultation fee uh, to determine if you're eligible to apply. If I'm, if I'm already in debt, I can't afford that. Well, I'll come to that. Uh, but after your consultation pay, uh, fee um the, the, the rest of the fee is usually built into your um, into your repayment plan. Um, but under Awalia, which is the um, a dedicated service to help owners find a resolution yes. for their mortgage arrears, and that's provided through MABS, um, the, you may be entitled to a free consultation. So if you are in arrears and you're in danger of losing your home, and, and they're the two criteria, and if you are in arrears, you are uh, technically in danger of losing your home. If you're in that situation, uh, you should be entitled to a free uh, PIP consultation, which will get you the initial meeting with the PIP. He will give you the advice and make the recommendations to you. And then he will um, try and come to an arrangement with your creditors. And as I say, uh, once he comes to an arrangement, and hopefully he will, uh, any fee resulting from that will be built into the repayment arrangement. Okay. Finally, how can someone access your service break back on track.ie is the the website yeah. isn't it yeah um back on track uh, is our dedicated website and it has lots and lots of information useful information for people in financial difficulty so they should visit um uh, that it's www.backontrack.ie or alternatively we have a helpline um and the number is 076 1064200 or if you want to free text uh, the word get help so it's one word get help to 50015 we can send you out a pack or we can get someone uh, to give you a call back all right okay and we'll give out those details as well on our own social thanks very much for that michael mcnaughton director of the insolvency service of ireland if you think you're in over your head reach out there is help there They will help you. Backontrack.ie is the website. Or text HELP, get help, get help to 50015. Quickly before we finish, uh, let's touch base at uh, UCC where there is a major drugs conference on this week. And students for sensible drug policy, we've talked to them before. Ben Ryan, good morning, Ben. Good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. And albeit brief, what is this conference about? So it's not specifically a conference, it's more of a drug decriminalisation campaign week. It's a collaboration between SSDP and UCCSU. Um, So we're having a panel discussion this evening with a variety of people. We've got 
James Leonard, who's been on with Tommy Tierney recently, um, Podrick Rice, Martin Condon, Lorna Bogue, the Green Councillor, and Roisin O'Donovan, the USI Welfare VP. That's on this evening. Then tomorrow we have a demonstration rally, which will be held on campus. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be probably quite easy to see us. There's going to be a few of us wearing prison outforms just just right. for uh, <laughs> easy visibility. And, and then what's the on central Thursday, theme of this week of event? Um, the central theme is we ran a referendum last year uh, which mandated the SU to lobby the college to support the de- decriminalisation of drug possession for personal use. Um, so it's basically for, you know, small things, like if, if someone was caught with a very small amount of drugs, instead of putting them through the court system and potentially looking at putting them in prison, which would cost thousands of euros, you would look at a, a, a less strict system of maybe fines or, you know, something like that. It's to take these minor, minor drug possession issues out of the courts and out of the system mm. of the guards. Like which you know, with Portugal, wasn't it? Yes, exactly, like they did in Portugal. Mm. And they've had fantastic results. And is there much traction? Is there much interest in it here? Among students, definitely. Yeah. Um, but is there much many... uptake from our lawmakers? From the lawmakers, not so much. We've tried to reach out with many people and they're... with certain people, yes. Um, but with with the main parties, not so much. Mm. It's generally the smaller parties would be the ones who talk around these issues. Mm. Um, we've had some. So even for this panel discussion this evening, um, Lorna Bogue is coming. She's the Cork City Councillor. She's a Green Councillor. She yes. almost got elected as a CD. Um, and we also have Podrick Rice, who is the Sockdem Cork North Chairman. Yes. So there is these smaller political parties that are growing in support. Indeed. Um, are engaging on these issues. The bigger ones, not so much. Okay. That's it for Monday. The programme edited by Deirdre Shantley, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And we'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.